26, we ventured into the boxing world. The boxing world with the, the Magic Man signature punch, Antonio Tarver. Antonio Tarver, for those that don't know, is the man that beat the man. Antonio Tarver knocked out Roy Jones. Yes, son. Made him lean back. Made Roy Jones lean back, son. Knocked out. It wasn't much to Tarver. Tarver took over the interview, son. Yeah, you know. He did a lot of chatting, boy. He was on his good foot, yo. Yeah, Tarver to me was exactly who, who he is on TV. <laughs> yeah, right. Talking that, right? <laughs> he is who he is, son. Yeah, like no whole But he's very, he, a very down to earth dude. Very good brother, yes, sir. You know, came came straight off the golf course, got in his car, and, and got busy with us, chopped it up with us, gave us some insight. Um, and it was a, it was a, it was a good discussion. Like, yo, Antonio Tarver, man, we need to have him pull up as these big fights are coming around and to get him. Up up. Yeah. Yeah. And just get, just get him to weigh in on it. You know, because again, like we're casual fans of the sport, you know, so we look at it. Well, I, I would say, honestly, we're, we're probably more than casual fans. We watch it enough yeah, watch it. Yeah, to understand how it goes and everything. But I mean, our knowledge of the sport is nothing in comparison to a dude like that, right. you know, so to hear him talk about everything from not only actually being in the ring to the business aspect of it. I thought he dropped a lot of gems in that interview. Yeah, it was a great interview, man. I mm -hmm. Magic man, Antonio Tarv is joining us. Hello. Guys, I'm sorry, man. I'm driving right now. Unfortunately. No problem. That's all right, bro. No problem. What's up, Tarver? What's up, Appreciate bro? Appreciate it, man. How you doing? Doing man, good, bro. I just kicked Winky and uh, Gary Sheffield butts on the golf course, so I'm feeling good right now. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. Oh, man. Yo, so we, we're excited to um to have you. Look, there's, we got, like, a slew of questions for you, you know, because I, I want to I wanna personally pick your brain because of your boxing knowledge. Um, You know, I've seen you inside of the ring, and I've seen you outside of the ring as an analyst also. And I know with you having – that experience, you could probably lend far more credence to the conversation than we can as casual fans. So right. one of the first things I wanted to ask you is, and I'm sure you probably get asked this a lot, why does it seem like now in this particular day and age, it's way more difficult to actually make a dream fight, to, to make a dream fight come to fruition than when it was in the past? Um, my personal my personal opinion on that is just everybody trying to protect their, you know, everybody trying to protect theirs, man. I mean, your fighter lose, you know, it's over with. You feel me? You got to go back to the, you know, back of the line. And it's all about position and power, I believe. And if you got the horse in the races, it's, it's important that you, you know, protect your horse and he runs as long as he can run. You know what I mean? So you got to understand at the end of the day, it's business. You know what I mean? It's business. Right. But a lot of times, you know, it comes a time where you can't avoid those big fights. But a lot, I, I believe a lot of these promoters need to start seeking those major, major fights and, and let them happen, man, for the for the history of the game. I think uh, mm -hmm. we should have already had an undisputed heavyweight champion by now. But, mm -hmm. you know, uh, until the smoke's clear, you know, until the smoke's clear, they're going to still be out there, you know. Yeah. So, so it makes me think about from, from what you're saying, like even the, the protective standpoint, 
And we were saying a few minutes ago before you joined us, what does that mean for Bob Arum if Terrence Crawford is his cash cow and he's the WBO welterweight champion? If he fights Errol Spence and he loses to Errol Spence and all those welterweight titles find themselves in PBC land. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's only a few of the major promoters out there that are making things happen. And if you're not, if you're not riding with one of those, man, it's a, it's a tough, tough business. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, you, you're asking these people to give you a chance to knock off their main fighter. So, you know, now nah, the business is going to have to be in order and, and understanding that, you know, you know, that's why it took me so long. And a lot of time, you know, I had to actually, you know, eliminate everybody that was a ranked above me practically, you know, but mm -hmm. as long as you're win, as long as you're winning, they can't stop you, man. As long as you're winning, they can't stop you. But you're going to have to take some risk because a lot of times the fights aren't going to be in your favor. But if you believe in yourself, you believe in your ability, you know, go take that risk because don't nothing pay off but risk. Man, I was man. an underdog. Every title, every title championship, Scott, I had, I was the underdog. That's right. So, you know, that just tells you, you know, it don't matter what they think, man. You got to know what, what you have and what you – you got to believe in yourself and know what you're capable of doing. Once you know that, then run, you know, just run and don't look back. Just keep moving forward. Yeah. yeah and that, and that's, that's one of the things I like about you, Todd. Pleasure to meet you too, brother. Listen, man. Yo, I, I always ask this question. I usually ask this question of artists and musicians, but how important is imagination? How, how important what? Is the human imagination. Very important. And I'm, that's a good question. Imagination is everything, man. Because if you can't see it, if you can't see it, how can it? You know, how can it? How can you be it if you don't see it? That's and right. I tell these, I tell these guys all the time, and it's really, it, it hasn't resonated. You gotta, live, you gotta live like a champion long before you become a champion. That's and right. this is where, this is where these kids, man, these young, they don't understand that. It's just they, they that, that they, they lose that. That concept. You gotta live like a champion. And that's hard. And a lot of these fighters don't know how to live like a champion. Because everybody around them has never been a champion. They don't know. How can someone take you someplace that they've never been? And you know, that's why it's really I think it's important that these great champions have the ability to give back to these young kids. Man, teach them your teach them your secrets. Give it away. I mean, that's the only way right, you're going right. to keep it. Only way I'm in the trenches with these guys, and I'm giving them the magic. You know what I mean? I don't mm. care. No, I'm say, that them say, say that again. Say that one more time, bro. I'm in the trenches with these guys, and I'm giving them the magic, <laughs> man. I'm giving them all my secrets because that's how you keep it. You give it away. You just watch these guys perform. You know, and, and when I can inspire and motivate these kids, man, that's you know, that's what I get out of it. You know what I mean? All right. So with that being said, what is the greatest lesson you learn from a loss? The greatest lesson that I learned from a loss is that, you know, I had everything it took to be a champion. And I can explain that because I could have when when Eric Harden broke my jaw in the first in the first fight, that's I right. fought I fought four rounds with a broken jaw, bro. And I can tell you, I've never been shot. Come on back, baby. 
And, and you know what? Quitting, quitting crossed my mind every every minute of time. But I couldn't let myself quit. I say, you know what? I'm gonna lose this fight, but ain't no man knocking me out. And I took pride in that. That's right. And, That's right. And, and, and a year or two later, I was offered that fight. Now, you got to understand, when they offered me the Eric Harden fight, he had just got done fighting. He just got done losing to Roy Jones. He tore his bicep in that fight. But before that, he was giving Roy Jones fits mm -hmm. in that fight. You know what I mean? And um, the IBF mandated that I fight Eric Harden in order to keep my mandatory status. Mm, right, they offered me a, they offered me a hundred. They was trying to knock me off, bro. It's the only man that beat me at the time. <laughs> so they thought for sure he was going to beat me again. Yeah. So they offered me $150,000 and I was a co-feature on HBO. I've never been on HBO. It's my first time on HBO. I've never seen $150,000 in my life. I said, if I can't beat Eric Harding, I don't deserve to be in the ring with Roy Jones. And everybody know what happened in that fight. Mm -hmm. After I beat Eric Harding, I had, I had arrived. I arrived. And that was, it was too late. I had already arrived. I went through it. And I knew what it felt like to come back from defeat and avenge a loss. And that was the yeah. feather that I needed in my head. After I beat Eric Harding, there was nobody stopping me. I was on my way. Then for, um, for episode 27, we brought in, to me, one of my favorite underrated MCs of all time, Juice Crew alumni, Master Ace. Reason why, the reason why I spelled my name Master with an A to this day. Yo, it's interesting because you think about the contrast, right? So we were saying episode 26 was Antonio Tarver, high energy, nonstop talking to a dude like Master Ace who's calculated. Super cool. Yeah. Way back. Just, yeah, like great word, calculated. Yeah, he's calculated. Like you could literally see as you talk to him and ask questions, you could see the wheel turning yeah. how he's thinking Boy, about how he wants to respond to this. That's right. That's right. You know, Ace was dope, man. Yeah, but how you know, I have to I have to like you said, and the and, and one of my favorite MCs. One of my favorite MCs growing up. He's underrated as an MC. Hell yeah. Yeah, he's 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 underrated as an MC, you know. I was at the um the barbershop two weeks ago and my barber was saying to me, he was, and you know, he's probably like 10 years, 10 years younger than me. And he was like, you know, you know who one of my favorite artists is? And I was like, who? He was like, you ever heard of Master Ace? And I was like, of course I heard of Master Ace. We interviewed him. He was like, you interviewed Master Ace? Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'll text you the I'll, I'll text you the um you know, I had a clip, yeah. And he, he went on his phone and he was like, yo. Long Hot Summer's like one of my favorite albums. He starts saying all the lyrics and everything. And I'm like, yo, you know, it just it just goes to show, like, here it is, Master Ace, a dude who came out in the 80s. 80s, 88. 80s, yeah. Made an impact on somebody who probably wasn't in high school until the 2000s. Right. Right? That's 20 years right there. 20 years. Right. That's right. So in this interview, Master Ace gave us the gems about everything that you know that went on with the Juice Crew, he talked to us a little about a little bit about um, how Juice Crew and Def Jam were sort of silent rivals. Um, at one point, talked about some of his new work. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I just. I just. It was. It was really good to have an opportunity to sit down and talk to him. And one of the things that one of the questions that I asked him, 
that I could tell, you know, that it's probably even prior to me asking, I'm sure other people probably asked him, he thought about it when we was talking about, you know, like the legacy piece, when we were saying, would you have rather have been somebody who had that one hit or right. would you have been somebody who had longevity? Because a lot of people don't realize because they don't hear Master Ace on the radio or Coogee Rap or Big Daddy Kane's people on the radio that right. prior to COVID that they weren't still touring the world, not the country, they were touring the world. And that's what he shared with us too, man. Yeah. Uh, going, going abroad, international and all them venues out there, man. It, it kept it kept the game alive. Pretty mm -hmm. Master Ace, Master Ace. Went, up, went up into his apartment in Queensbridge and recorded my first little demo. What wow. was it? Say again? What was it? What was that first demo you worked on? Uh, I think, I think it was a joint called Power Move that never came out. But don't quote me. But I think it was a joint called Power. That was definitely one of the first joints that I recorded. It mm -hmm. was just like some lyrical, you know, mm -hmm. trying to prove I'm dope, like just mm -hmm. flipping words, whatever, trying to be dope. That yeah. you know, and I think it. I think that was the song though. Based on your your early experience with Cold Chilling, did you ever think that hip hop would last this long and be this lucrative? No, um, I really, you know, the year that I met Marley and the year that I finally got to record was the same year I graduated from college. So, in my mind, you know, what I was going to be doing was putting together a resume and getting out there and trying to get me a job in marketing or in advertising and going the corporate route. That's really what I was you know, basically set up to do. So um, once this whole music thing kind of looked like it was taking shape, you know, I said, okay, well, maybe I'll get a record, you know, maybe a record will come out. That'd be cool. Uh, but I still didn't envision a career. Absolutely not. Um, there were a couple of artists that were making money, you know, the Fat Boys, Run DMC, big, big, big names. Big yeah. Um, but you you didn't see, yeah, it the groundwork wasn't laid yet for an artist to have a career, even though it's not this huge commercial career, but still have a career that they can, you know, uh, look back 30 years later and say, wow, I, I, I'm still at it. I'm still doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Me, me and, uh, me and Rob were talking prior to you getting on and I was, you know, I was sharing with him. I think one of the things that I've grown to appreciate about hip hop is that, you know, you have, well, I'm talking about previous generations. You have like, you know, MCs like yourself. Um, you know, we had General Steele from Boot Camp on um, also. And you have people who have put together a great body of work that they can continue to tour and make money and feed their families from doing music. You know, and then you think about this generation and this generation, you may have somebody who may have come out, have one smash hit. And their, their legacy may just be that they have one smash hit. They earn some money off of it. And then when it's all said and done, you don't have the ability to do it. Whereas, you know, you have you guys that you've, you know, you've built a legacy that allows you to tour the world performing these songs and these songs are timeless. I recently asked myself, what would I have preferred? Would I have preferred to have that one big national, you know, record that everybody knows and I will, that will always be synonymous with my name? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and maybe go platinum with that one song and, you know, get a plaque and make a whole bunch of money for like two years. Um, but then down the road, um, you know, just not get booked because maybe that's no people don't care like that anymore. Yeah. 
yeah. or have the career that I had. And and when I look at it, you know, yeah, you know, you wish you kind of had that one record or that that, that one like finding record. But if I had to choose between the two, I would take the the career that I have right now because, <laughs> you know, even if I had gone platinum with this one particular imaginary single, that money would have been spent. Mm-hmm. It would have been gone. You know, um, I'd be I, I would be telling everybody about the cars I used to have, the crib I used to have, and I would be struggling to get a show, struggling to do anything. Um, so you know, there's two, there's probably more than two routes, but those are the two routes that I looked at, and I realized one it could have been one or the other. And I gotta be, I gotta say, I'm blessed and fortunate to have the the career that I do have. Yeah, no, di- no disrespect to a dude like, like, think about a guy like Young Jock. Young Jock had whatever that record was was a hit single, probably nationally. Yeah, no, but Young Jock ain't nobody calling Young Jock. Yo, come over to Germany and perform your record. Like it, you know, whatever success he had off that one record, he probably already exhausted all of that success. Yeah, and he, his he was on, I believe he was on Bad Boy, so he probably doesn't even get really royalties or royalties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. Let's talk a little bit about the existing uh, era that you went in. Being in that environment, how competitive was it with G-Rap and King? Y'all, you know, working together like that? Well, when you say competitive, it wasn't like dudes were overtly testing each other right. like that. But, but if you hear something, you'd be like... Right. You hear their records or you hear their verses and you're like, dang, okay, shit. I, I need you. to I need to come with something on that level. Like I'm I'm you know I'll never forget hearing G Rap's verse on the symphony the day we recorded that joint. And I was sitting back like, man, I should have said something else. I I had another rhyme I could have said instead of that one. That 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 he just like blew it out the water. Like I think he even had Kane kind of on his heels because when he first recorded the verse, like I recorded mine, Craig recorded his, and then G Rap went. Right. And G Rap rapped for like four minutes straight. He rapped until the reel, the, the tape reel went off the reel. And Molly's like, yo, it's too long. Like we don't we didn't there's no room for Kane. And after that long, I mean he was murdering it. But I don't even know what that rhyme was to this day. I, I'd have to I don't even know what Rami said, but it was some craziness. So then after Molly's like, yo, you gotta shorten it, G Rap's like, I'll just say something else. And then he spit what we we know as the verse. I mean, like, who who has a crazy long rhyme like that that's ridiculous and then has another joint that's even more ridiculous? Like, it's just... So, in your mind, it's competitive because you you realize what the bar is and you're trying to make sure that you can measure up in some way to that Mm -hmm. bar. And um, those guys kept me sharp. They they made me, you know, I had to prove my work, bottom line. Mm -hmm. Back then, you had to do that, man. You had to show and prove, man. So what do you, what do you think about the state of MCs today? Um, I mean, that's good. There's there's still good MCs, man. There's still talented dudes that can rhyme. Like I, I love the fact that a young cat like a, like a, for example, a YBN Corday, who my daughter put me on to. I never I didn't know him at all. I never heard of him. She's she's my daughter's fifteen, right? She came to me and was like, I want you to hear this this rapper I really like, and she had never come to me and brought me. An artist before like she had never come to me and said i want you to hear something that was her first time so i was like oh okay that yeah. let's see what this is i was like really curious to know what she was going and sat down and listened to the whole album with her front to back and i was like yo i'm impressed with your taste because this kid can actually rap like he's talented he can rhyme 
Um, and the songs were good. So okay. yeah. I bigged her up for that. But, you know, there's, there's, there's still talented people out there that can rhyme, man. Like, I don't focus on the dudes that are horrible. Like, that's what a lot of people do, especially my generation. <laughs> they spend their whole time focusing on the guys that can't rap and how terrible mm -hmm. they are. And in their minds, they start to create this idea that everybody's terrible. And mm -hmm. that's not the case. Like, there's plenty of talented dudes out there that can rhyme. Yeah. The, um, since you've been involved in the music business, the um, the music business has evolved. And also, the business of making music has evolved. Can you talk a little bit about the difference in terms of process of what it was like before to make an album versus what it's like now to make an album? How royalties work back then, how royalties work now, and just any you know any similarities or any differences you can share from from past to present. I have no idea how royalties worked back then because I never got any, um, <laughs> so I have no idea how those worked. Um, but the process of making the music, you know, back then, you had to go into a actual studio like. A room with a whole bunch of equipment, half of it you didn't even know what it did, but it probably cost you $125, $150 an hour to be in that room. Mm -hmm. And so when you know that that's being eaten up, that that, that 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 money is eating up your budget, you don't go in there wasting time. You go in there, well, some cats did go in there wasting time. Like the, the, these, a lot of these Def Jam artists go in there and order food. Order drinks, spend the first six hours drinking, entertaining women mm -hmm. with the beat playing yeah. in the background and, and not even create anything. So I've heard those yeah. stories, but I wasn't one of those guys. I, I looked at everything like I needed to be very, very, you know, uh, economical with my studio time. And so I made sure that when I went in, I was going to make sure that it was, you know, useful, uh, productive, whatever I was doing was going to be productive and then I was going to get what I wanted out of it. Um, mm. But you know, having to go into a studio and spend that type of money to record an album was a way to sort of weed out the people that didn't really belong or didn't have the talent to be there. Mm -hmm. Because a label was not going to put up $300,000 for a project um, with an artist that they didn't, that wasn't proven, that they didn't think really had it. So. Mm -hmm. Compare that to now where you literally only need a laptop and a few maybe software programs mm -hmm. and you can in your basement or in your bedroom even make a whole album like you can buy some beats off of they have these websites where you can actually lease a beat. Oh, wow. and, and, and there's kids that lease beats from producers, 50 bucks, 60 right. bucks. They lease the beat. They make a whole album with, with lease beats and they release it themselves on SoundCloud or on, on whatever. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, there's no gatekeepers anymore. The gatekeepers back then were the labels, uh, the A&Rs, the, the studios themselves, because, you know, that money that you had to spend to be in a studio was a deterrent if you really didn't have, nobody was going to invest in you if you really didn't have it. So, um, yeah, we've kind of lost the gatekeepers of it a little bit. Um, it's kind of like uh, open borders. I like to call it open borders. Anybody can just, you know, jump in the game and, Mm -hmm. Throw something together, you yeah. know, on a whim. It could be the worst sounding thing ever, but it can. They they'll do go. They'll get a they'll get an iPhone. They'll get an iPhone 11 and shoot a video with it, and it'll look halfway decent. And they'll put it on YouTube. And it's it's great that it's opened up people for people to be creative and to own their own stuff. But there's no gatekeeper, so the quality of the music has to be affected by that.
Mm. You mentioned Def Jam. <laughs> did, did, did Coach Hill and Def Jam have a rival? A rivalry? Yeah. I mean, it was an unspoken rivalry, but they were definitely, they, those two labels were definitely uh, uh, one and one A. They were neck and neck yeah. in terms of, you know, Hard. talent, in terms of records, popularity. Um, but th th there was a certain point where Def Jam just really took off and left and left Coach Ellen in the dust. And that a lot of that had to do with the leadership, you know. For twenty for for episode twenty-eight, we kept it in Brooklyn. Oh. One half of Smith and Wesson. Yes, I General I, Steel. I and I. Yo, I have to say Brooklyn, yo. I got I got this I got this in, my, in the top in top five too for me. That's a good dude, son. I can yeah. interview him again. Yeah, I got, I got this in the top five for me too because this was another interview that I feel like it just ran it, it the rain yeah. yeah. the discussion. Yeah, like you know, to go from having topics about real life and everything that's going on mm. to hip hop, mm. it was just it was seamless. And what I what I liked about him too is yo, his humility. Right. His humility. You know, a lot of people don't realize with these interviews that one of the things that's, that stands out to me the most after we interview these people is what happens after the interview, right? So we have some people that after the interview, very few, I would say, that they get off and we don't hear from them again or whatever it is. Right. But we have a significant amount of people that after we end the interview and after the camera cuts off and we're still talking to them, they, they give us our props. Yeah, they still remember. Yeah, and they give us our problem. They'd be like, yo, I have to say that was dope. I enjoyed the conversation. Anything you need, if you ever want to talk again or whatever it is. We need, I, we need to pull them up on the office, man. We need to start calling people on the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just I, you know, I have to say that, yo, just call, just call me if you want something. Just just holler. Yeah, yeah. He, um, you know, he, he talked about from his collaboration with Mary J. Blige and Puffy on that remix to, you know, um, Sean Sean Price gave us jewels on Sean Price. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it just just a, just a good dude. You know, Rob showed him uh, his garden too. <laughs> we found we found out that ginger is they robbing people for ginger out there because everyone's looking for ginger. And I was like, yo, I'm growing it right here. Yeah, that was dope. That was definitely dope. Boot camp. Shout out to boot camp. Click. Shout out to you know what? It was too many people. I'm like, yeah, y'all good. I took the train home. <laughs> I'm like, I'll go to 125th right there. I walked to 8th Avenue, man. I'm gonna get on the subway, man. After 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 one of the dopest videos of your career. It's like, yo, I'm gonna take the train home. Nigga. I like two my homes, like, yo, fuck it, I'm ride with you, son. Let's go. <laughs> I'm like, y'all go ahead in the limousine, man. My shorty was there, her sister was there. It was so hectic. And it was awesome. It was super awesome, man. It was awesome, man. You know. Tell us about the uh, recording session that you guys had with Mary D. Blige, one of the greatest R&B and hip hop collabs ever. Well, I, you know, keep it a Billy. Uh, Mary wasn't on deck for that. It was only only people in the studio was myself, mm -hmm. Smokey Lie, my PNC, Puffy. And then LL came and then he popped in real quick. Wow. But how they, how Puffy did it, man, that's why, you know, Puffy is a genius, man. Salute to P. Diddy, man. Um, 
he saw the thing. Like we did a, we had did a, we had did a show probably uh, prior to that it was a couple of days on an on, on Intrepid when they allowed us to perform on Intrepid back in, in that time. But we had the whole boot camp was there. Junior Mafia was there. Mary performed. We performed, and um, Diddy was like, "Yo." Working on some remixes. Want you to come in studio. Da da da. Him and him and Drew High chopped it up. So he's a real private dude. He's real uh, straight up business cast. So we had no entourage. Just me, Tech. We went there and and he gave us instructions of what he wanted from us, and then left us in the room. The rest is history. Classic. The rest is history. And then we we we'll look up in the room and we'll see like. See LL dance to the beat and like this, like ah, you know what I mean. But but none of them allowed to come in there and say it wasn't about a bunch of yo, what's up, yo, uh, yo, smoke weed. It wasn't even that. That that was something that, you know, uh, I'm glad that me and Tech are able to do, because our sessions be crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Our sessions be dice games, <laughs> anything if you know anything happened in our sessions. But that particular session was like yo, he left us. And it was just me and Smokey Lies sitting in the room. Uh, it's like, yo, y'all write y'all thing. And that's what we came up with, the I Shine, You Shine. We had one book, and we passed the book to each other, and we really got into that. Right. So that, was, that was, uh, one of the many classics that you guys put out, man. Salute. Yeah. Yeah, I want to I I say again, rest in peace to um to Sean Price, yo, because his yes. contribution to hip-hop and just who he was yep. as a person, yeah. not even personally known, mm. but just ex having that experience, uh, hey. sitting on TV and then, his music. Um, what was it like working with a brother like Sean Price? And do you think there'll ever be another boot camp click out? Um, working with Sean Price is, uh, you know, it's a blessing, man. Say the least. You know, there's a lot of it's a lot of artists that have had, um, you know, rest in peace of Malik B. Yeah, yeah. Um, rest in peace of Fife Dog. Um, rest in peace to Nipsey Hussle, rest in peace to Prodigy. There's a lot of groups of individuals that gave us a lot of phenomenal stuff and they have all lost loved ones, you know what I'm saying? Um, and there's never, there's never no, no rating system you can, you can put on that. Uh, my relationship with, with Sean Price is, is crazy because I know people who, who've known him for shorter than I know him and fell in love with him. Mm -hmm. in that short of time. So you can imagine when it comes to that. Um, as far as it being another boot camp album, like, honestly, I, I pray for that. Feel me? Like, we all camp, do, man. That's what I have to say. I'm going to tell, tell you guys one thing. I had a conversation with all my bros, and I told them, you know what I mean? I'm like, yo, if, if, if we're going to do one last thing, we got to do it for Sean. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we in the talks right now of seeing how we can do this in this climate. Because honestly, I ain't going to hold you, man. Like rap is such a, it, sometimes it leaves such a sour taste in your mouth. Right. You're like, damn, you gave so much, yeah. you know, and it's so less appreciation. It's like, what what else can you give? You losing your, you losing your loved ones and your family members. Yeah. People who don't really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, 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 let me, um, Rob, real quick. Let me say this just up to, um, to follow up on um, what you're saying. Uh, it's interesting you say that because I was going to ask you like down the road about how the music business sometimes make people become disenchanted from actually doing music. But I had an experience the other day that, um, you know, I grew up in the Bronx and I grew up around, you know, Cuban Link and dudes from the Terror Squad and stuff like that. And 
you know, in my house, I have like posters up. So I got a big pun post up and a dude came to work on my air conditioning and he seen the big pun post and he was like, yo, you know, I'm from White Plains. I'm this huge Bronx fan and this, that or whatever. And like, do you know any of the guys? So I was like, yeah, sure. I know, you know. Actually, I, I do. <laughs> so I, I FaceTimed Cuban Link and Cuban Link got on the phone with wow. him. And it just made this dude's day. And he was like, yo, he was like extremely excited. So after he left, Cuban was like, yo, did you? Did he give you a deal as a result of it? And I was like, nah, it was, I got a service contract, so I had to pay anything <laughs> at all. But I did it because I wanted Cuban Link to see, like, as, you know, as much as people get deterred or feel like, damn, like, you know, the game is not giving anything back. Like, yo, they're just, they're hardcore fans out there. That, have, right. yeah, that just have the appreciation and the love of the music. And yeah. I think sometimes it get lost on us in particular, because all of us, we grew up in the hood. You right. know, but there's these other small pockets. I live in Connecticut now, fucking in the middle of nowhere, basically. And it's this random dude just out of the blue has this huge affinity and connection for hip hop that, you know, a white dude look nothing like us, have completely different experiences. So, you know, I just offer that to you, brother, just to say, like, you know, as as troubling or as trying as it could be, like, yo, there are people just out there that just still have this dire love for the music and appreciate everything that your brothers did for hip hop. Yes, sir. That's I, I appreciate the sincerity in that, man. I, I, I feel that, you know, and I and I definitely uh attest to the fact that it's it's, it's that conversation is not had because it's mm-hmm. it's such a uh how you say a competition. Yeah. To stay hot or to stay relevant in all these different manners of things and, and then you know, like as we get older. Of course, it's easy to kind of like fall out of pocket and go, man, the dudes ain't appreciating this. It's all you old school cats. And mm-hmm. Like, Lil Wayne is old school. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, imagine that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, what the, what are you, I'm like, I'm a dinosaur in the hood. I'm like, <laughs> I'm on my Ray Kwan shit. I'm a fossil. I dare you replace it. Like, my shit is well important, son. <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta embrace that. If you don't embrace it and hold, like, you know, we got a guy like Chuck D who just turned 60, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. And um, like Chuck D was, was in his 30s when we was listening to him. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. you, got, you got guys like Tupac and Biggie who ain't make it to be 25. Yeah. You know what I mean? They like, you know, then you got guys like Malcolm and Martin who ain't make it to be 41, 42. Yeah. You know, they got, yeah. Right? So they super happy. Oh, then you got guys like uh the chairman, the chairman, the chairman who ain't we got he got murdered at what, 22, 23, something like that? Fred Hampton? Fred Hampton, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, these guys is in their 20s. In their 20s. Mm-hmm. They are accomplishing some magnanimous feats, right? They talking to the populace the same way rappers are. Mm-hmm. Rappers are talking to the populace. What are you talking about, mm-hmm. right? They talking about Taylor Swift got five albums that just sell billions and billions of dollars. All right, I don't think none of us got no Taylor Swift songs. None of us, not one. Between the between the, how many of us? Four of us. Between the four of us, not one of us got a Taylor Swift song on our on our iTunes. I don't. <laughs> but I tell you what, I tell you what, Jay. And it's no diss to her, but we, you know, yeah, it's, just, it's just not my not, not my thing. But yeah, I respect the craft. It just ain't for me. I, I tell you what, though, General still like big time pop artists like Adele, Taylor Swift, whomever. 
They listening to hip hop. That's a fact. They listening to that. That's why I wasn't mad. Like I can't hate. Like no disrespect. I know Kanye got issues and all that, but he be on to something sometimes. He be on to something sometimes. He always managed to take that shit way too far. <laughs> but sometimes he be like, "Yo, hold up, chill." How you vote her? Like he was on to something. He was, because yeah. you look at it like the racism, the the overt racism, like in this industry, they they act like they ain't stealing. Mm-hmm. They stealing everything. Come yeah, on, yo, get out of here, yo, yo. Listen on everything I love, man. We're not supposed to say nothing, right? Which is crazy. And then we then you got like Beyonce doing Black is King mm-hmm. on Disney, right? Which yeah. is cool. But at yeah. the same time, you got the Lion King where you got the people that's that that's the family of the people that's behind that is getting like dumped on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Your family's like, yo, get out of here. So let's put somebody black there so we can calm these people down. Mm-hmm. So we don't have nothing more burnt up. So it's like all that I'm not with the Manchurian candidate shit either way, bro. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. what what I am with is like if 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 we put enough in, like before Prodigy, before Prodigy signed out. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was getting, he was dropping a lot of gems. Oh, if you go oh, back yeah. to his his joints, mm-hmm. you realize how much he was rhyming way more than heavy. Yeah, like he was dropping <laughs> gems, bro. Yeah. He was talking about alumni with Monso like early, like yeah. And then and then right before he passed, right right before he made his passage, he was he had a show where he was dealing with um, the different versions of you know conspiracy theories and he was trying to put something together with sasha mm-hmm. and right. you know you know i don't you know we can all get into our uh uh theorizing and conspiracies mm-hmm. but I, my thing is this let's just create let's flood the market let's flood it because these these people will love to pillage everything everything that we create they would love so i don't I want to say who, which people they are because the worst devil is the black devil mm-hmm. you know what i mean so these people who are willing to pillage and who are willing to covet that which others create, they're going to have a hard time on their hands when we keep giving them so much beautiful stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You got to burn down a lot of far. You got to burn down the world. Be like, you know what? I'm just a devil. <laughs> I can't hide no more. <laughs> like, why, is, why is this shit burning in California? Oh, right, you know what? I'm just a, you got me. I'm a devil. <laughs> oh, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, come on, man. And one thing I wanted to know, you know, you were very close to Pete. Yes. Brother's gone. What has changed your life since he's been gone? I stopped. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I in my mind, I have a, uh, it's just, I think another book of the Bible or the Quran, if you may. Like, this brother I love, left. I love your mind. You're such a Sagittarius. <laughs> this brother left. Him. He left jewels, and every now and again, they hit you and go, wow. I'll be like, the scroll of Sean. What was Sean do? And he, he gave me personally in, uh, certain jewels, you know, like, yo, rap. You know, like he know that I'm the type of person who would try to figure out the rhyme. Like, yo, I gotta come, like, oh, I gotta. I like, yo, just rap, bro. Talent, like, too much of that. You. I. Thirty one was I think thirty one was a passion project for Rob. We had chased this person down for a minute, boy. We was in her DMs. 
so much that you would have thought he was trying to hook up with her. Sure. Yeah, Zane in the DMs. <laughs> yeah, you know, we is commenting on posts. And we finally got her. We finally got her. Episode 31 was Jimmy Amu from OKO Farms. Oh, um, she she was the this is one of my favorites because like you said, we've been tracking her down for a mm -hmm. long And I've been wanting to study this 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 product or this this thing called aquaponics for so long. And to see a sister do it right in the hood just told me, yo, son, what am I waiting for? I could do this thing any way I any way I want to set up, I could do it. But to see someone do it and then have the presence in mind to be doing it for a great cause. She was in there teaching other, you know, having schools come visit the farm, teaching other people how to eat clean, how to grow their own food right in your backyard or in your house, whether indoor or outdoor. Um, something that's needed in our community today as far as changing our diets and eating differently and growing your own food. Before how to be doing that right in the middle of Bushwick, Brooklyn, yeah. right across the street from the project, got her own little lot. Twenty-five hundred uh, square feet of land, got a got a pond in there, and a, just a slew of vegetables, man. And, yeah, you know, great talk. When it was and when and when it was all said and done, me and Rob took a road trip out there to meet up. So, no ideas original on on location. Fabulous, yeah. It was she's a, she's a really 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 good sister. You know, she had we met. Uh, I guess like one of the other women that work at the farm. You know, she told us some of the some of the inside things that are going on. I guess some of the the things that complicate running a farm. Red you know, tape with us, yeah. The red tape shared with us also some of the future ventures that they're looking at. You know, and the fact that she even opened her doors to us. You know, and and, and allowed us to come in and walk yeah. around and ask as many questions as we wanted. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and we had we 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 probably gave her more in depth com, uh, questions on location yeah. in the interview because we was asking her everything about what kind from what kind of pipe they use to so what she grow to right. uh, the grants and the financing and all that. So you right. know she was, she, she was completely transparent about everything. So shout out to Yimmy for that. I'm about to jump out there. Yeah, you know. and 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 my concept in mind, like like I said, ten years ago when I. Started to learn about aquaponics and seeing, I said, yo, wow, that means I can just grow cucumbers if I want. And I was like, if I can grow cucumbers, I can make cucumber juice. I was starting to think, expand, and, I, and, and when my wife and I got together, her being a chef, and I told her, I said, yo, babe, I can grow your, I can grow your vegetables. Everything you use in the kitchen can come, right right come right out of the backyard. Yeah. And if you have the space, and the thing with aquaponics is it does pay off because things do grow faster. Right. You know? Talk about that versus. Yeah, things do, things do grow faster for the most part because the plants have constant access to water and constant right. access to nutrients. You know, right. you do get less disease for the most part. So it's worth it. And then you also get fish on top of. Right. On top of your vegetables. So vegetables. That's, yeah. a meal. That's a meal and a half, man. It's a beautiful meal. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth it. And like I said, you can buy the most expensive materials on the market. I'm really good to like going on YouTube and finding people who live in developing countries and looking at what they're doing. Yes. <laughs> rather and than like, yeah, and rather because in, in the US they try to sell you on all these expensive kits. Right. Um, and if you have the money, great. 
But if you are a little creative and a little resourceful, it doesn't take much. You need containers. Can it hold water? That shit, man. You need something that can hold water. That's it. That's That's mostly what it is. Yeah, you will see some people who um, convert their uh, bathtubs, old bathtubs, into fish tanks. Okay. So the old bathtub is like where the fish are, and then they'll have like a little container next to it or on top of it where the plants are growing. So you can be creative, you know. At at your at your at your site in Brooklyn, do y'all use any so any solar paneling? No, not at the current site, but we're definitely planning to do it at um, Weeksville. Okay. Yeah, and just so you know, we also don't use a lot of electricity. We have. 10,000 gallons of water maybe in our system. We have more water than we need um, just because we don't want to run out. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. But, um, exactly. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, there's like no water on the lot and it's one pump that moves all that water because we're taking advantage of gravity. Um, a number of things growing in that garden, man. You got so much going on. You got lemongrass. Man, you got some African stuff too. You got others. Yeah, we do. God bless you, yo. You like a dream come true right now, man. <laughs> now, uh, Jimmy, can you can you tell us and the uh, listeners uh, how much more business did, did you get once you had got the media coverage from Fox Five, Fox Five New York News, and also when you had got the article uh, coverage in uh, Vogue and Wall Street Journal. No. I did no. not, nothing significant. Um, nothing significant? Okay. Yeah, the, 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 the people who support us are, believe it or not, it's, it's um, educational institutions, it's other nonprofits um, yeah. in the community that are interested in like growing food for their people, um, researchers, uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't really notice any... <laughs> big change from the from that coverage believe it or not and that's something i've noticed about news coverage um and i reaching the talk and i reaching the audience yeah, i mean it's nice to say that you've been covered in whatever mm-hmm. but i really haven't noticed maybe if we're in oprah magazine <laughs> yeah. you don't know ideas original and we you know? right <laughs> now it's about to, it's about to go through the roof now right. <laughs> that's a good segue though to, to talk a little bit about your gofundme campaign and how we can be of support and how our viewers can support also oco farms absolutely um right now we are we have a fundraising campaign going on it's on gofundme but you can go to our website um, to learn more, and our website is www.opafarms.org. Right. Um, and it'll take you to our GoFundMe page. We're raising money to move the farm, to expand the farm, and to do more, right? More of education, more of growing, more of research, more um, um, community engagements. You know, we do a lot of things. It's not just like the farming and teaching um Agriculture. We teach people how to cook. We do culinary classes. We do preservation classes. Um, we want people to come to the farm and relax and eat and you know. Me and Shaw coming. Me and yeah. Yeah, we, we were talking before you came on. We said we gotta we gotta yeah, we pay you a visit. Right. So we wanna be able to do more of that. I kind of envision a place that's like the heart of the community where people are coming to for food, for education, to relax. You know, the the space as Weeksville is so beautiful. On market day, 
you know, Farmer's Market Day, we also want people to be doing yoga. And to be, episode know. 32, we had DJ EFN from oh, Drink Champs. That's just a little backstory for this interview. So originally Zane reached out to uh, DJ EFN's rep to set this interview up. And I think initially we were offered maybe 30 minutes or something like that. Initially, yeah. Yeah, we were offered 30 minutes. And when Zane told me, I told him, no, we need we need more than 30 oh, minutes. 30 minutes yeah. More than 30 minutes. We got 30 minutes. Yeah. So honestly, I thought that I'm like, okay, so maybe that may have killed the potential to get the interview. But DJ EFN, being the man that he is, came back around and agreed to give us more than the 30 minutes. Right. And I have to say, I think that he was, you know, he was an open book. He yeah. was engaged. It was a really good discussion. He showed, he shared with us the inception of how Drink Champs was created. Mm. You know, and gave us an inside scoop on it. And he talked to us about his fatherhood's podcast also. I thought it was a really good interview. And I thought it was dope that beyond Drink Champs, we also had an opportunity to speak to him about his DJing. Right. You know, one of the things that, that I've also noticed about like some of the guests that we pick out is that if guests are on other platforms or they're engaged in other ventures with other people, you know, what I try to do when I'm talking to the people is I try to highlight what it is that they're doing, not what they're necessarily synonymous for. Right. right. So I didn't want to make it a point to constantly talk to him about drink champs or right. talk to him about Nori when he had all these other things going on because he has crazy hood productions where they've done film, produce all kind of other podcasts, documentaries, and all this other stuff. This is a fascinating guy that he was heavy promotions in Miami. He got a lot of, he had a lot of things under his umbrella. Episode man. 32, DJ EFN, DJ EFN. Productions, Fatherhood Podcast. Co-host of Drink Champs. We did that for like three years. We did it uh, after XM and Sirius merged. We were on Sirius XM. We were on different channels on the on the satellite radio, and then we stopped doing it. At the same time that we were doing that show, though, in the studio, we were big drinkers in my crew. Always had all kinds of bottles, and you know, and I was a big rum Bacardi drinker and getting fucked up. And um, and if you couldn't handle your liquor, we were like, man, you're not a drink champ. And it was just this thing that we would say. You're not a drink champ. I'm a drink champ. We the drink champ. <laughs> and I just loved the way that that sounded, like that rung. And I was like, man, I wonder if anybody has got the dot com on this or got any has grabbed this because I didn't know what it would be. But I was just like, man, this is, we, we could make a bar called Drink Champs. I don't know, just dope. A clothing line. Yeah. And I looked, and nobody had the dot com. And I'm talking about this is like ten years, twelve years prior to to Drink Champs. You know. Right. Um, it was like like 2005 or something. So I grabbed the dot com. I grabbed the the Twitter, the the IG. Whenever IG had come around, um, and I, I ended up grabbing the IP on it, basically the intellectual property well, on man. it. And, yeah. well, man. and and then years later, like I said, parallel to the story of the name Drink Champs, Nori and I stopped doing that show, but I wanted to do something similar. Mm. And a friend of mine was a big podcast guy down here this homie uh godfrey he had a a, a gaming podcast called gamer tag radio mm. and he was always advocating like one thing that I, in that time at least podcasters were always like advocating for other people to podcast mm -hmm. it wasn't like other things where people were like, i don't want you to do what i'm doing he was like no nah, man y'all should podcast and it was like foreign at, at first and in hip-hop it seemed like some nerdy computer shit like who the fucking nobody going podcast you know 
that ain't cool. But I saw it, um, and I would tell Nori, and at first Nori didn't see it. And it took about five years, give or take a year. And then um, finally Nori got on board, and I had my boy Scam create a logo already. I already had the logo done. My boy Scam, he did the Tribe Called Quest album cover, Beach Rhyme and Life. He did the, the stuff in the Eminem album, the first one, all the, the mushroom and all the characters. You know, and he has a song with Eminem that's in the song Stan. They mentioned I even got that shit you got with Scam. So he's he's from Carroll City. He's a Miami native. My homie, fucking legendary artist as well. So he created this fucking legendary logo. And once Nori was ready, because one thing with Nori is that if he's not ready, it's going to take forever. But once he's ready, he's super impatient. Like, you know, like, you better be ready. He's like, fuck, man, you can't even go to the bathroom. He's already doing something. So he's like, all right, let's do it. Let's fucking let's do this shit, you know. And um, I was like, all right, I got the name and Drink Champs. I got the logo. And he's like, ah, oh, whatever. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's do Drink Champs. And, and, you know, and then we, my boy also, that dude Godfrey, he had just did distribution for his podcast on CBS Radio. And he, he gave us the plug. And they wanted two pilot episodes to proof of concept, basically. And we did, uh, we did um, the one with Fat Joe, Fat Joe yeah. and Kenny Anderson. Okay. Kenny Anderson was the first one we actually recorded, but the first one we released was Fat Joe. And, and the rest is history, man. Yes, sir. And it's a beautiful show, man. God bless you, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. Y'all bring out probably always thought about about artists. And what I wanted to ask you, who's the most interesting artist you had on the show and why? Interesting. Everybody has their own interesting side, but the one that I had the most fun with and was most surprised by was 50 Cent. Because I hadn't I hadn't really had a, a, a lot of interaction. I mean, I had interacted with him in the past through mixtape stuff and even through Nori, but I didn't have a lot of interactions with him and just kind of like seeing everything we've seen of 50. I just felt, you know, he was going to come guarded to the right. show and i heard he didn't dr- he doesn't drink which he doesn't right so he came by himself and at that time we were recording little haiti which which if you don't know in miami you know some people would say it's like an infamous area you know shit goes mm-hmm. down little haiti but whatever it's, it's fine but if you're not from miami you might be you know you might not come alone let's just say that's right and and so he came alone i think eventually a homie of his from the from the neighborhood came by but he came alone and he greeted everybody and just a good sport about it and then once we started he was being 50 that he's so fucking smart he was promoting a vodka at the time so he's like well if i'm gonna promote this i might as well i gotta drink it so he actually took like three or four shots and he was fucked up you know (laughs) he was in rare form but he had fun with the show he got the concept like some people come to the show guarded on drink champs they think we're you know like we're trying to get you drunk we're not we just want everybody to just have fun like if you drink it with your homies that's right. And he understood that, and it, we just had a blast with 50, man, which I it was unexpected for me. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be that that much fun, you know? Now, in the cannabis culture that we're in, it almost like drink champs is going to turn into smoke champs. Well, we, we, I own that. You know, we, we we got that one down, too. You know, I grabbed that. I grabbed smoke champs. I knew it. I knew it. I knew and I don't smoke. I don't smoke, but everybody around me smokes. And I was like, hold up a second, man. I know that's just good. Someone's going to create that immediately. So I, I, got, I even got the logo. Scam did the logo for that as well. Nice. I got that ready to go. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. You want it. You want it, man. Yeah. And it's in uh back to when you was talking about uh your uh friend doing artwork and all that, right? It's mm-hmm. funny because a friend of mine actually did artwork for you for your show, Demont Pender. 
Better oh, yeah, man. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, hella talented like, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I know him since like 96. Um, yeah. And he was on a show, like, I think about what, like a month ago, fellas? Mm-hmm. Something like that. About a month ago, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, man, this this is just, it's crazy how the synergy is. You know, I mean, once you really look at it, man, it's a small world in especially yeah. like in hip hop. Like, I feel like, you know, what is it? The six degrees of separation and even maybe even less than that. Yeah. That's why that's why be careful how you treat people, you know, because, right. yeah. you know, we're all connected some way or the other, you know, yeah, relationships, everything. You know, one of the things that I've, I've loved about Drink Champs is just like it seems like a natural chemistry to vibe, you know, and everybody in the room. But when COVID hit, you guys had to shift to quarantine champs do you mm-hmm. feel like that's changed any of the dynamics of the show yeah it's not the same man quarantine champs i mean i'm glad we could do it and, and we did a couple of them we're back to, to shooting physical episodes again mm-hmm. um unfortunately i missed a couple because i actually caught covid i had the virus for a second oh, so yeah i got no nah, no nah, i mean i'm good I'm, like, I'm, I'm alive but uh you know but we can't say it for everybody that's caught it you know but um but luckily you know i, I got through it but yeah, I mean, it's one thing when you sit down with people physically and you're having some drinks. And even if they don't drink, because that's another thing, too, man. You don't have to come to drink champs. You don't have to drink. Mm-hmm. And we actually I think it's dope when someone comes in there, you know, whether they're on some sobriety stuff or they just don't drink. I think that's that's a that's a really great message to people out there. You know, and we right. always say we'll do all the drinking for you. Right. Um, but but it's just it's not going to the Zoom stuff. It's just the way Drink Champs is with the jokes and the clowning because Sonny's over here. Mr. Lee right, right, right. crazy and Boris over there and the yeah. weed or someone made a noise and we cracked. Then for just, episode 33, we took it. We took it back to, to, to the purest element of hip hop. O.C. 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 for episode 33. D.I.T.C.O.C. You know it. One of the, another one of my favorite MCs, super underrated, great guy. Was talk, talking to him was like talking to his counterpart, AG, which is my big homie. Mm-hmm. Both of them are the best of friends. So talking to him was like talking to him. <laughs> you know what I mean? I forget what I'm saying. Um, real, 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 like, yo, he was one of the homies. I felt like I could smoke a spliff and drink a Heineken with homeboy. That's exactly how I felt talking to him. Yeah, yeah. It was cool hearing him talk about, you know, Big L and how he hooked up with DITC and how he met Farrell March. That to me was like a hip, a, 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 a hip hop, a real true hip hop interview. Interview, yeah. Yeah, a real true hip hop interview. That was like hip hop and it's beautiful. With someone who's not always on in, in the limelight like that. Mm-hmm. Someone of official hip hop substance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I like that too. Number thirty three. Number thirty three. Oh, right. was was flowing for me. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny saying you asked him R and B because when you listen to his cadence, it's so rhythmic. All right. his it's a rhythmic like, mm-hmm. but he's actually talking it out. Let's go. Yeah. The first exactly. Yo, right. real quick, it's a secret to a lot of dudes. Biggie was so incredible because his Caribbean, uh. Mm-hmm. That Caribbean kid, yo, I, I done bit, chopped, screwed, listen to Caribbean music, Jamaican music all my life yeah. as well. So yeah. a lot of that stuff taught me how to how to you know be rhythmic. Yeah. Right. Right. So the, the first mm-hmm. track, I, the first track I heard you on was Fudge Pudge by Organized Confusion. Where'd the connection come from with you and Organized Confusion, and how'd you end up 
hooking up with MC Search and signing a wild pitch? Well, um, you know, when I when I moved to Queens, Southside Jamaica, Queens from um Bushwick when I was a kid, I moved on a on on block that was uh occupied by Pharaoh, a few other people. You know what I'm saying? He was a few years older than me, but um, you know, we clicked up. You know, we used to play ball together, play baseball, basketball. And um fast forward, man, like he introduced me to Poe. Him and Poe went to high school together. And um I don't even remember the day I said, yo, I'm gonna hang out with y'all. We just we clicked ever since I moved to Queens. You know what I'm saying? It was probably a year or two after that. You know, we started playing together. Then things, you know, as we became uh, uh, older teenagers, we started talking about the music. They was in high school already. I was like a couple of grades below them. And um, like I said, he introduced me to Prince. Now, fast forward, you know, um, the whole organized thing and meeting people and meeting Lord Finesse and meeting Buck and those guys and MC Search was from being on the very first source tour. I went on the very first source tour with Pharaoh and Prince. And right. that's how everything just just snowballed from there. That's right. That's right. Yeah, right. MC Search was working with you and Nas at one point. Does MC Search have just that good of an ear or does he just happen to be a person who was in the right place at the right time? Nah, Search has an ear. You know what I'm saying? Contrary to what people think about that white boy shit, you know, um, I think the average white white band had hit records. Black people was dancing to back in the day, so namely it was white. Yeah. But search is um shit search from far rockaway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He grew yeah. up around niggas <laughs> all his life. So, you know, yeah, he got an in. Yeah. yeah. And there, there was a rumor that Nas was supposed to be on Word Life, but then never made it to the session. That's true. Yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy, man. And then then that same tour, you said you met for you, you ran into Finesse and Buck. Your first album was done. Was right. Buck the whole entire album? Um Buck, my man OG, he's down with the ITC, of course. Right. Um, Prince March and Search. That was the, and Lord Finesse. That was the, you know, uh, producers for that first album. Nobody wanted to fuck with me on the first album, besides, you know, outside of them. But I know the God A fuck with you, AG, son. And I love the, the joint y'all did. Um, was it Supreme Oasis? I believe it is. No, Oasis. Yeah. Is a of fact. Oasis. I, I, I yeah. Was, I, was, I was working with A. A is my big brother, so. You know, he's the reason why I even read books to this day, man. He's crazy. He just he have you going somewhere when you get in a conversation with him. So how was it working with him on OEC? He's a genius, man. Like literally, like do IQ somewhere else. And I, I don't say that sh like on some bullshit. Like he's really a genius. You know. Yes, sir. AG's a genius for real, for real. Like it's shit that I used to get upset with because <laughs> I, I was saying wrong information and he had the right information. We used to argue. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Good dude knows his shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that album was dope, man. Well, um, yeah. uh, Supreme Squad, Two for the Money. That was classic hip hop. Yeah. I just love the boom bap and that, and y'all going back and forth for that. God bless y'all for making that album, man. For real. Nah, that's that's like um, that's something that I think me and A been wanting to do, and and you know we did that song called Weed and Drinks on my third album, Bon Appetit, and. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we crew members, so we already know we got chemistry. But when we did we right. drinks on on that album, it was like, oh shit, you know what I mean? Like, right? We we got something, but then we waited like 10, 15 years to do Oasis, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but we got it done. That's all that counts. Yo, it takes time for great shit to merge, man. Then for episode thirty four, yeah, we had the new king. Ali Vegas. Ali Vegas. Now, uh, so behind the story um, set up for this interview. Shout so out to Dweeb Nation. Yeah, shout out to Dweeb Nation. When I re- originally reached out um, and started politicking with Ali Vegas about setting up the interview, you know, he said he'd be willing to do it and everything. We locked in a day. And I think when we went, when we originally were supposed to do it, something happened and he couldn't log on because we were doing it. We wanted to do it in this particular platform from Jersey. Yeah. But no, we remember the first time we wanted to do it in this particular platform that we're using now. Right. But he couldn't access this platform. So we ended up having to reschedule it. And I think we rescheduled it maybe like two or three days later. And then he came on. And then when he came on, it was just like great conversation. Mm-hmm. Listening to him talk about, you know, hearing him talk about his OG. Mr. Talk about his experience in the industry, hearing him talk about track masters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of Ali Vegas because I thought Ali Vegas was a really good lyricist. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know what? Beyond his lyricist also, there's something to be said to me about, I, I'm just, I'm old school in a way that I just like stand up people. Like I like people, if they say they're going to do something, they follow through and they do it. The guard is on his square, man. He, he talks very candidly about the people around him, the things he's been through, and he's super wise, wise out of his, out his wits. It's a great conversation. But we have some real intelligent people in these interviews. I mean, and share a wealth of knowledge, man. I encourage everyone to go check out these shows. Yeah. Listen to Ali Vegas talk about the collaboration with him, Rakim, and Nas that who almost we, happened. Who we following, who, who, who we learning from. But we can't let them know who we following and who we learning from. We just got to take in the lessons and act like mm-hmm. business as usual. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's in the dictionary. That's the last three. I always, <laughs> yeah, I always read because it's like. You got to know how the words work. Yeah, you got to read. Re, you know what I mean? You got to reacclimate the words into your system and keep them, you know what I mean, there so that way. That way I always tell people, like in my book, I tell them if you read the dictionary, the more words you could grab to, the less curse words you you don't have to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Second, you said the second book was Black Success? Yeah, Black Success. It's called Black Success. You know what I mean? So, so when you was working on your first album, Track Monsters, was, they were on fire that time. They had 50 around them. They had The Firm around them. They, was, H- they had everybody. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like working on that first album? I mean, it was, it was, it was perfect. You know what I mean? Because it was, you know, it was crazy. It was a gift and a curse because 
when you coming from the same stomping grounds as everybody. Like I knew like now nah, I knew Nature and Foxy and A. I knew them before before music. You know what I'm saying? Like A and them coming to joint in the SL picked me up. You know what I'm saying? Cheeks and I'm like I was around them young already because they would come to the hood and you know what I mean, rock out. But when you get in there and it's crazy because what made it ill was everybody if you listen to like the generation gap joints, everybody who featured on it was giving me their best shot. You know what I'm saying? Like they was like <laughs> and that's what I was loving because I was like, you know what I mean, DO had to pull me he DO was like, Man, they got look how much respect they got for you. They giving you their best shot. You know what I mean? And you and you he like you thirteen boxing with them. Like this is like you thirteen boxing with them. So that's what that was the gift part, but the curse part was like, you know what I mean? Like, like that made like Esco having his mind that I was, they was trying to replace him with me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because everybody else, every if your whole crew is on the album and you the only one that's that's waiting. You like, yeah. I see where it's going, but it was never that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's what made it so dope was learning like learning lessons then that help you now because like the old be like we had the producers we had the studio we ain't depend on track masters for nothing mm-hmm. so when it was time to walk it was easy because track masters don't they don't know what records that they they don't know what records they pay for yeah no because we got our own setup and that's what i learned from d i learned from d is that you get your own setup and have your own and then that way nobody knows the records are yours. Nobody knows what records they paid for. They can be like, oh, we paid for this. Yeah. No, but you don't even know the title of the record, so you don't know that you should pay for that record. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard somewhere, though, that there was supposed to be a, um, a track with you, Nas, and Rakim, but it never matured. Rakim, it was going to be the Generation Gap song. Mm. That was going to be the title track, the Generation Gap song. It was me, him, and Rakim. And what happened with that? I mean, well, Rashawn throwing for it. But Esco, he, he just kept raising the price. And I, but me, I'm, I was, even at that age, I'm smart enough. So I'm like, I'm not going to let no money, I'm not going to let no money get in the, get in the way of history. history. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not what I'm going to do. Like, so right. they saying, right. look, he want, he want 75,000. I'm like, give him a hundred. Yeah, because my budget was my budget was unlimited. Mm. Donnie Ina and Tommy told us like whatever he wants. Yeah. Like my budget was unlimited. So I'm just like, oh yeah, give he if he want hundred and fifty, whatever he wants, go ahead. Because I know like 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 money don't make like money don't make me. I, money don't make me man make the money. I don't I never cared about money. You know what I'm saying? Like only money just buys time. That's it. So I don't ever worry about money. I just want, I was just focused on memory, the memory of it, with the memory, how long that would have lasted for, yeah. for people that love hip hop. You know what I'm who, saying? Like, who, 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 you have, who was going to produce huh? Who was to produce that song? Is that a cream track? Nah, that was going to be Chop or LES. Those two, those the only two that was going to handle that track. And, and, and the joint was, matter of fact, it was the, they chopped up the, um, they chopped up the, the for the loving you joint. Oh, now the barge. Yeah, and that joint was like 
Yeah, super dope. And it, yeah, so you could just imagine me, yeah, yeah, yeah. me, S going row over that, just like, and that wasn't, oh, that was like everybody in prime, everybody in their prime, you know what I'm saying? Like, like well, me, I was the young, I was the young royal person, so it was like, we was just going to show the three elevations of it where I'm the royal one, and then like, Esco would have been, Esco was been in his prime, mm -hmm. and then Ra would have been like, you know what I mean, the OG, like, yeah, yeah this is how we level it off, and it would have just been like, bang. Fucking fucking my head up right now, because my imagination. <laughs> From Ali Vegas, for episode 35, we have my man Cuban Link come through. That's a good dude, sir. He's a funny dude, too, sir. Yeah. Cuban is, you know, Cuban is always entertaining. He's always been an entertaining dude. Cuban came through. And Cuban was talking about, I guess, you know, his, his, in a way, I guess, like, I like he was on the boat when we talked with him. Like, he was off the water. Or so. in a parking garage or something. I don't know where he was. But, yo, know, he was saying, um, he basically told us, I guess, like, his Mount Rushmore hip-hop. Remember, he said, Big Daddy came, Cool G Rap, Rakim, and Nas, I think he said something. He said he met all of them, and all of them gave him his props. Right. You know? And to me, as I, yo, I always give credit to when you meet people or people are entertainers or whatever industry you're in, people who have the ability or humility to actually acknowledge that somebody laid the path for them or that they actually appreciated somebody else's work. I hate when people be like, I don't, I don't listen to nobody else's music. Right. Yo, come on, bro. You know, you know somebody influenced your 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 rap. Wow. Hell yeah. Yeah. So to hear him say like you you know G rap and I was a fan and this that I'm like all right you know that's like when you hear these ball players they talk about like who you patting your game after I ain't pat my game don't come from nobody. Come on, great, son. I did this myself, son. <laughs> nah, Cuba was dope, man. I I enjoyed I enjoyed listening to him talk about pun and his experience being around pun and the things he the experience. And you'll notice also in that interview, what I have to say is that you'll notice that there's not Cuban didn't spend his time with any harsh words for his previous experience with Terror Squad. And we didn't and we didn't we we egg him on. Yeah. We could have easily asked him, so with that joke, nah, we ain't gonna do that. It's not our business. Yeah. It was it was you know what? It was just hearing him talk about his experience coming to the US from Cuba. Cuba. And his experience with hip hop, right? Cuban Link. You know, uh, well, at that time, you know, my favorite MC was uh, uh, Coogee Rap. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Rap yeah. is definitely yeah, my yeah. good choice. Good yeah. choice. But I went through, yeah. you know, I went through, I went through the slick, Rick, slick Rick. You know what I'm saying? Slick Rick. I love Slick Rick back there too. So it was just like, you know, uh, it was a. I don't know. It's just that that nigga's style, man. His format was crazy. His metaphors was nuts, and the way he spit it. You know what I'm saying? He was a, he was a, ahead of his time at that time, and of course it was the three: uh, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, and Kooji Rap to me. You know what I'm saying? And uh, those three right there, they they just they just made me like, you know, you know, like as far as like my mentality of pushing me, like like Run DMC gave me. The rhythm and oh yeah that was you know what i'm saying I, I wanted to rhyme but when i heard like g rap like uh rock him and big daddy well, Kane, when i heard them really yeah, they, like, they use words they use words if i ever pick up if i ever pick up this mic if yeah. i ever pick up this mic i'm gonna have to get 
I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to like really really like get the salute from these guys right here because these mm -hmm. are these are the top of the line MCs to me. So you know let me at that time. This. What, so, what was it like? What was it like the first time you met G Rap? What was it like the first time you met G Rap? Oh man, I, I was a fan, money. I was I was of a groupie. <laughs> I was grouped out, man. <laughs> I, I, was, I was grouped out. You already know, man. G Rap is a, is a, is a down to earth motherfucker too. To, to this day, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's just a down to earth nigga. But my nigga, when I met them, of course, man, I had to salute. I had to tell them stories when I was young and and tell them how much they fucking, you know, a groupie. But you know, real nigga is the real nigga. I can never be a groupie, but it's that real nigga love. But still, like. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell you this when I was a kid, my nigga, because at the end of the day, I don't know if you know, but I know that you made me pick up the mic. But when I picked up the mic and I'm, I am I turned it into not a hobby now, it's a job for real. And I got to represent. Right. I got to make sure that the bar that, you know what I'm saying, that I'm on has got to be fucking with y'all. And y'all got to respect that. That's right. that. That'll be the end. Uh, that'll be the, like, that'll be the, the, the check mark. Like, yo, I'm doing it right. You know what I'm saying, and of course, when I met him, he was like, "Yo, my nigga, your pen is ill." You know what I'm saying? You crazy. He recited some rhymes to me, and I was just like, "Okay, my own rhymes to me." So I was like, <laughs> "You know what I'm saying? I'm doing all right, man." You know what I'm saying? Yeah, my my fathers, my forefathers that that I grew up, you know what I'm saying, idolizing and, and seeing come up, they, they all saluted me and said I was doing a great job, and and that was that was more than than enough for me to be like, "Okay, I know I'm meant for this game, right?" You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Kane, Big Daddy Kane came to one of my shows. Big Daddy Kane came one to, to one of my shows in Long Island. And, and that I'm, just surprised me out of nowhere. He's in VIP. And, right. He was in VIP and asked for me and shit. I was doing a show. It was my turn turn to rock and shit. That nigga said, yo, tell Cuban to come over here. He asked the, the club owner. And I went over there. I was like, oh, shit. That's another <laughs> brother right there that gave me nothing but love. And, That's and you know, gave me the check mark. That's peace, man. And I'm glad you mentioned. And Rakim, Rakim, I seen. Uh, and Rakim, I actually seen him in 161st. I was fucking going through the gun case, 2000, and the nigga was uh, he, he was in the, he was in the same courtroom and shit. Don't say he, he, was, he was like, oh, God. <laughs> Yo, yeah, yeah, he was, happy, he was some regular shit though. But I, I was I was doing the gun car shit. But he gave me my love there. So I'm in my you know I'm at the three pinnacle of rap and Nas. Nas was the young nigga. Right. Coming up at the time, remember, nice, nice, more for a lot of the barbecue. Yes, sir. Like barbecue you, know, and, uh, you know, good lyrics, brother. But let, so, me ask so. you this. let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Being a, I, and I understand what the five elements are, but I think the, the most unquoted element of hip hop is the imagination. Tell me about what you think about the, how important is the imagination? <laughs> Oh, the imagination is everything. I mean, uh, that that's 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 beyond that's beyond element. You know what I'm saying that's that's within the individual. You know what I'm saying the individual, but if you put it to um, towards music and as far as hip hop, that's everything. That's everything. That's 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 the world that you creating before the words come out your mouth. You know what I'm saying? So that's 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 everything. That's everything, and, and the imagination. It's a powerful thing, man. It's a thought. Like, remember, idea. They go back right. to your shows, right? It goes back to your show. Not that idea is more powerful than anything when it's when it's birthed in your brain. That's right. You understand? That's now, right. but you still gotta. Now, it starts in your brain, but you gotta pull it to be re reality. Right. You know what I'm saying you have to make it reality. So you, 
you know, you have to put other things together with that. But yeah, imagination is everything, though, man. You could take when you grab that mic and you use your imagination, you could take anybody to to wherever you want to. That's if you right. put the right words together, you, know right. saying? you, you take them everywhere. That's right. That's right. You take right. them to another planet if you want, and, man. Yeah. and you make yeah. them believe it. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna add on to that because the imagination is so important. How important is mental health? Mental health, of course, is very important. Man. Mental health is very, very important. I mean, it's, that's your brain. You know what I'm <laughs> your brain. You gotta, you gotta make sure that the brain is right. That's right, bro. You know what I'm you gotta, right. You gotta keep good thoughts, man. What they said though. Yeah, yeah. No, you gotta. You know, it's it's. Uh, mental health is a very, very important thing uh, for anybody to have. You don't have to be a rapper, man. But but you know, as far as that, um. Dad, you're a crazy motherfucker. You're a crazy motherfucker. But sometimes, see, the crazy thing about this is like most genius and most crazy niggas that 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 we love are crazy motherfuckers. Yeah. You understand? Like the genius yeah. niggas that made it to the top top and are incredible. Like these you niggas really nuts. Talk like, to them. <laughs> this is all cool up there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see, you got the R. Kelly's. R. Kelly's a nut. <laughs> that nigga's a fucking nutcase. But he's the best. Ever, ever to touch that R and B from R and B mic, you know what I'm saying? You yeah, know, yeah. it's crazy. pun, pun was not. It's crazy, my nigga. <laughs> yeah, niggas no pun. That's my brother, but that nigga was psycho. <laughs> and he was the best. Yeah, yeah. he's hilarious. That's what I'm saying. These these niggas, these niggas. Yeah, I'm telling you. Sometimes this genius shit is. Um, I mean, um. Uh, the best, the best of the best are, are, are a little crazy, you know. Speaking of but, speaking uh, of pun, can you tell us how you and pun met? Ah, uh, we met. Shit, we met. Shinano met up the hill, nigga. One fifty eight, playing in, playing, playing ball, playing basketball. Uh, we Punk met. We ball? met. Uh, nice? We used to was just play. Nice? We was the young crap. We was the young niggas. Mm -hmm. Was pun nice? We was the young was niggas though. Number so so we can. Um, was nice, my nigga. Air Goya, nigga, that for real. That's Air Goya. <laughs> yeah. That nigga, that nigga used to dunk for real. That nigga, he had hops. Yeah. I used to dunk too, though. Don't get that twisted. I'm five eight. Nigga, I'm telling you, nigga, don't believe me though, man. Nigga, don't believe me. But anyway, I call it um. Yeah, we like we met each other playing ball, but he was he was older, so he was he used to rock with you know, Hunk and them niggas. Remember Hunk and. And Proctor, remember Proctor? Proctor? Yeah, yeah. Them niggas, them niggas beast. Them niggas is beast, my nigga. Big Al and all them niggas. Them niggas used to like goof the shit, like do like fucking Dominique Wilkins shit on them courts. Yeah. We used to just play in the biddies. We we had one we had one little half court, you know what I'm saying? That we used to play for the young niggas. Mm -hmm. and, and right there I used to play, but that's when I seen uh when I first left. I think Cuban got disconnected for a second. To have shit. Yeah, yeah, somebody called me. So, so you know what I'm saying? He was uh, he was in them course where we met, man, right, right up the ranch. And then later on, my man Triple Sace, you know, he brought him to my house, uh, like in front of my, my building and shit, um, to come outside and chill and shit. And then we really, he took us to his crib and that's when I got to know, you know what I'm saying, Chris, like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we already knew, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, our energy just, 
You know what I'm saying? That shit. That shit was best friends for yeah, me. Episode thirty six. Episode thirty six is another one that's um on your top top five. Nah, I don't got it in my top five, but it's sentimental because episode thirty six was A Seven FL, and that was the debut of Kenyatta. That's the first time we seen Kenyatta on camera. No, right. that's right. Podcast. That's right. Right, and we had an opportunity to um to interview um Samir. From the A7FL. And that was it was a good interview. And it was interesting because prior to Zane setting up the interview, I knew very little about the A7FL. Right. I but after setting up the interview, like we do with all the people that we interview, we started doing the research. And I was looking, I was like, damn, they got a fascinating game right here. Like they've really incorporated elements in the game that NFL could probably look at. But yeah. I, you know, the thing that was most intriguing for me is because I automatically go to the biggest concern in football is CTE and health. Right. And here are these dudes playing, you know, they're essentially playing tackle football with no pads and that stuff on. And they yeah. hit. And they are hitting. Yeah. And they it was each other over. It was, you know, I had prior to us interviewing them, I read up on all the literature and everything. And everything was saying that, you know, if a person is not wearing a helmet, they're less inclined to lead with their head. And I was like, I don't know if it's on instinct if you're trying to hit somebody. But then as we was talking, I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I I could probably see that. You avoid that, even if you're falling. (laughs) (laughs) You're kind of like, you're trying to to keep keep your head from not, you know, from being injured or whatever. But, um, yeah, that was, that's somebody that, that's, that was an interview of someone starting a football league. Yeah. And it it started to pick some momentum. They had... They had some. They had some some TV viewings, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they had, yeah. They had some viewers. Um, and my understanding is also is that Snoop inquired about becoming an investor in the league. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Snoop Dogg for that. For sure. A7 FL also is currently looking for investors. If you're interested in investing in A7 FL, you can go to their website and become an investor. Yeah, that, can you um, tell us, uh, our listeners out there, what's the what's the? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, can you tell our listeners out there what's the difference between rugby and A7FL? Um, so I'm not an expert on rugby, but yeah, two different sports. Um, uh, A7FL is traditional American football with a twist. So mm-hmm. seven on seven, no kicking. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a three-on-one special teams. It's the most exciting play in sports, we believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, football with with variations for safety to move the game faster um, and to be a more expandable and international sport. Um, rugby is a great game, similar in terms of tackling, no pads, no helmets. Um, but that's pretty much the extent of the similarities. Um you know the gameplay is it are two totally different games. Correct. You brought up the three on one throw. That was something I was interested because in, I realized that you know there was no kicking involved. Could you tell us how like you know how that came about and like you know what, what how it actually originated? Because it is really interesting to see and it's different than, than football, and it is an exciting an exciting thing. Yeah, it is, man. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, actually, that that um, that play that uh, new rule came about during the a7 fl's uh evolution 
So there's even the chance for new um, rules and new plays to be uh, created as we grow and as we evolve. But my partner, Ryan DePaul, invented the three-on-one um, as, a as a safer way to do um, special teams. So you can see the A7FL is layer upon layer of safety um, in terms of the twists that, we, that we've done with the rules. So crackback blocks are one of the most dangerous parts of um, football, and special teams one of the most dangerous um, aspects of football traditionally. So when you change it to a three-on-one, three on the throwing team, one on the receiving, it makes for an exciting uh, play, and you eliminate crackback blocks, and, and uh, it's just a lot safer all around. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes in sports you hear the terminology, you hear people mention the face of the league. One of the things that I think the NFL has is, you know, the NFL is huge. It's a multi-billion dollar business, so they don't necessarily need to have a face, but they do have star players. But then you think about a league like um, baseball, Major League Baseball. One of the issues that Major League Baseball has, and I've heard you talk about it, is that most of the time the players spend their time in the dugout. When they're batting up, they have a helmet on. When they're in the field, they have a baseball cap on. So as many, as much as we talk about the superstars in baseball, it's a lot harder to develop people as individuals. Does the um does the league have a player right now that's the face of the league? And if not, what are you doing to develop a player? Then coming off that was top top five. Top five for me, Rob. I know you gotta have this in your top five. Who's that? We don't even got a number for it. We just did a two-part series, Conversation with Kaba Kamini. This is the show with the great elders. Now, this man I've been following for a lot of years, along with the host of el other elders. But I'll tell you a quick story. I was watching him on YouTube, and he gave his number out on YouTube. I'm watching it live. So I called him. <laughs> and, I said, and I asked him, I said, that, 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 uh, that school uh, curriculum that you're talking about that you have, could you email it to me? He said, Mr. Ray, he said, son, as soon as you hang up this phone, I will send it to you. And he sent it to me. For now, I became a fan, son. Yeah. He took, he took, he took the time right off, right off live off of, I thought it was crazy. I'm like, look, I'm stalking this man. <laughs> Here it is. He's giving out his number on TV, live on the internet. I call him, he answers, and he and he and he and he just he produces. He sent me that curriculum with tons of books, tons of knowledge. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest, one of our best shows that we had that we had the two parts of it. I agree. I'll tell you this: another behind the scenes is setting up the um the Kaba Kamini interview. What a lot of people don't realize is we that interview was pre-recorded, and I think we did that at like eleven o'clock at night, right on on Friday to like one o'clock. Yeah, we were. He was on with us for quite some time. Yeah, you know, and I and I have to say, like, usually we try to stay away from like like real late shows, but that show to me was worth it. It was worth it. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed his his conversation. The dialogue was 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 really good. It was highly informative. I mean, he was on point. He answered all the questions. Uh, he's just a wealth of knowledge. Like they said, man, the good place to be is at the foot of the elders, man. Mm -hmm. was you said something as um when someone tells the perfect lie the truth is unbelievable and i think that this is a good question to frame our discussion what is the truth and who are we as people mm. well first if i may just give credit um 
that I did not originate that statement, but I have repeated it because it just was very attractive to me because of the common sense that it made. So I just want to recognize uh, that I first heard it from my brother from Indianapolis, Gary Holland. Mm. Uh, I always like to give credit where credit is due, and it was such right. a profound statement. Um, and I've carried it with me everywhere I go because it is so phenomenal. To answer your question, I go now to another scholar, Dr. David Mhotep, who is the author of the book, The First Americans Were Africans. And one day, brother and I were in a conversation, and I was telling him about the truth, and I was telling him about facts. And he said, uh, hold up, bro, just one moment. Let me just talk to you a minute about what you're saying. He said, yesterday, where I am, it was a very beautiful day. The sun was shining. The skies were blue. The evidence of it is the fact that we experienced it and we saw the blue skies. And that's a fact. And that's the truth. But, brother, today it's raining very hard and we ain't even seen the sun. Mm. He said, that's the truth. And that's a fact. And the evidence is there. He said, what we have to talk about is evidence, mm. not truth and not facts, because situations alter cases. The truth and facts can change. That's but the evidence is always there and will never change. They are there yesterday, today, and they will be there tomorrow. Universal Ma'atian truths. Nice. So truth to me is, is, is according to your perspective. Facts are according to your perspective. It's the evidence I like to focus on. Right. The evidence never changes. And that's how I think I can answer that question. What is the truth? Situations alter cases. Mm. <laughs> evidence is what you're going to go after. Right, because that's that's hard fact. That's kind of it's like hard facts. That's it. It's there. It never changes. The sun was shining. There's evidence of it. It's a raining very heavy. The evidence is there. Mm -hmm. The facts and the truth changed those two days, but the evidence never changed because the evidence supported the statement that you were making. Mm -hmm. What I attempt to do is I attempt to stay away from negative emotion. Reason why I say negative emotion is because all emotion ain't bad. Anger is emotion out of control. Passion is emotion under control. I'm passionate about what I do. Yeah, but stay away from anger because anger never allows you to think in a constructive way to respond to the situation you hold. I mean, it may make you feel good because, you know, you're angry about something, you get down in there and you just love how it feels. Mm -hmm. But when it's time to solve the problem, you, you, you have to get up out of that anger and you have to get passionate about searching for evidence. Right. And from there, you can solve your challenge and meet your needs. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I'm glad you you, you mentioned it that way because Western civilization has destroyed us in our thinking. And the question I pose to you is how important for, is it for us to revisit our imagination? It's already there. In fact, you know, it was Albert Einstein that said imagination is better than knowledge. How about that? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my thing has always been when you deal with these issues that we're facing as a people, 
we we have to understand we have to look at the evidence of what we're seeing this is the third time that indo-europeans have been given the opportunity to put in place a civilization and a culture that is long-lasting this is the third time they failed and they failed for the same reason that they failed all the other times first time was the greeks the second was the romans well, no. Well, yes, if you want to. But I put them both together. I put the Greeks okay. and the Romans together. But but the Romans, yes, in the sense of the so-called Holy Roman Empire. Correct. The Greeks. The the see, I put the Greek and the Roman together because of one. Pity piggybacked on the other. Correct. Africans had a very straightforward understanding. They went through an entire civilization unbroken for thousands of years because I don't start with Egypt, Kemet. That first dynasty isn't a first dynasty. We call it a first dynasty because that is where Western world came upon Kemet. Right. And they they had their own uh, African Greek scholars write out the so-called dynasties. There are three different forms of dynasties that we have. There are three different levels of numbers of years that these dynasties existed. But no matter how you look at the northern part of the northeastern uh, uh, quadrant of Africa, the Kemites were the Kush. The Kemites came from Kush. Mm -hmm. They were Kushites. Mm -hmm. And the so-called first dynasty is nothing but an extension of a thousands of years dynastic system that Africans from what we today call Sudan brought into southern Kemet and then moved up into uh, Hikupatal or what we call Memphis. Hmm. They handed down this legacy. They were interrupted at the end of the sixth dynasty by the first real incursions of Indo-Europeans. They they um, came in and took advantage of us fighting amongst ourselves because that's what we were doing. That's okay. what allowed them to come in in the first place. We were fighting right. amongst I'm talking about black on black right now. I'm not, and you know, fam sometimes don't like to hear this, but come on, let's face the reality so we don't repeat them. We were fighting amongst ourselves. Indo-Europeans came in and began to exploit that that fighting, and they were able to weaken the Kemetic uh, legacy. The first intermediate came into existence. Okay. Eventually, after a while, Mentuhotep pushed forward from south, from from Sudan or Nubia, back in, overcame these interlopers, ran them out, and established a middle kingdom. Mm. The Middle Kingdom flourished with the with the Intefs, Pharaohs, and the Queens, and uh, Mentuhotep II, Amenemhet III. I mean, it was phenomenal. Right. However, Indo-Europeans came back in, mm -hmm. and they uh, were, were able to overcome the northern part of Kemet by the Delta and push the Africans south. Eventually, Africans came back. During the end of the 17th dynasty, drove the Hicksox, Indo-Europeans out, established the new kingdom. And then eventually 19th dynasty, the Napatan dynasty. But the point I'm trying to make is at the end of the Napatan dynasty, about 525 BCE, before the common era, 
the Persian Cambyses and his Persian troops, which today would be Iran, came in and overtook. 525 is really the last time Africans ruled Kemet the way they had done in time. Prime because Prime after Prime. the Persians came the Greeks in 332. They came with no talent. They came with nothing to offer. And what they did is that whatever they could not uh, uh, steal, whatever they could steal and understand, they put their name on it. Mm -hmm. Things that they could not understand, they destroyed. Typical, right? The same thing today. Now, today, right. 30 BC, after the so-called Germanic tribes that we call the Romans come down, they're going to come down, they're going to start what's called the Punic Wars with North Africa. They're going to come back, and the success of the, of the Roman soldiers beating the African Carthaginians is the fact that the Carthaginians, who are Africans, and the Numidians from Morocco are fighting amongst themselves. Mm. And so the Romans make a deal with the Numidians. The Numidians buy into it, they defeat the Carthaginians, and then the Romans turn on their word and subjugate the Numidians as they always do. We should know by now. Right. So that's that first time that the Indo-European world had a chance to establish a civilization that could survive. But they were so greedy, so arrogant, so ignorant, it fell. Because more Germanic tribes would come down and they would sack the Holy Roman Empire. Now, am I am I incorrect in saying during that Carthage War, that's when that's the time of Genghis Khan? Am I correct? Well, that's that's going to be out of Asia. That's yeah. that's moving up more towards Asia. We're, we're talking about Africa proper right now. Yes, and so Genghis Khan and 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 the entire concept of 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 the Asian invasions are going to come. The Mongolian invasions they're going to come also. Right. But Genghis isn't going to impact this area of the world right now. Okay. Okay. And so when Europe is plunged into a dark age, and when the 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 uh, Roman Catholic Church is trying to get themselves together, they try to unite, and then all of a sudden, this is the second time that they could have gotten it right. Africans went in. Seven ten. Hmm. This is what we call the Moorish Empire. Right. 710 Africans go in, they bring libraries, they bring soap, they bring disinfectant, they bring medicine, they bring different ways of agriculture. They build the first universities of Europe, the first music conservatory. They bring the piano into Africa. How about that? They turn the harp sideways, encased it in wood, combined it with the kalimba, the finger piano, and the xylophone, and that's the birth of the Baroque piano. I know that. See that? That was a jewel. I like that. <laughs> well, check this out, Mr. Rab. Look at the way a baby grand piano looks. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I'm seeing it. Yeah. It's a heart. Yeah, yeah. So instead of strumming the, the strings, what you do is you hit keys that are then going to hit the chords. Chords. Yeah. You see? And and so, you know, that's why the piano is a very interesting. The piano and the piano is very interesting to the drum because it's a percussion. Right. Because you have to hit a percussion is something that vibrates that you hit. Which you hit, yeah. 
And so the so the piano actually is not just that, but when Africans were playing the drums and they would play it real hard and the top of the drum would get shredded. Mm. What they began to know is that if they if they moved along the top of it, the strings, you know, the 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 uh, parts that were, uh, you know, just hanging would make a sound. Mm -hmm. So what they did is they cut the top of the head of the drum off and turned it up and started to play it like that. And that's the birth of the guitar. Mm -hmm. mm. Oh, I tell you, we're geniuses, man. Episode 39 was um, G Money. G Money. The Flip the Script podcast. Mr. Glizzy um, himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just like I was saying, the same thing with DJ EFN, you know, like um, these folks are co hosts on podcasts where they may not have necessarily have the larger than life personality like uh, Queen's Flip. And, and they, right. But they have the, they have their own story and they're doing their own thing and they're doing remarkable things that deserve to be highlighted. And uh, G Money with the Picky Eater show, you know, right. we learned from him that he had the Picky Eater show, um, that he also was like, you know, he didn't say it, but in theory, he's like the resident DJ at Comic-Con um, right. in San Diego. San Diego. Um, you know, and... Working for TV. Yeah, yeah, he, he's... um The feel that I got from DJ um, G Money, like, after that interview, I just I just left that interview like, yeah, it's a good interview, but all around, I just left it like, yo, he's just a real good dude. Yeah, he's a solid guy, man. Yeah, like a real good dude, you know, like, on it with his... With his family, all about his son. Oh, yeah. Um, very, you know what the other thing I'll say about him also, too, is that he was like, he was very present and aware of, I guess, like what his role is on the Flip the Script podcast, also, mm -hmm. right? Because he was saying, he was like, you know, I know Queen's Flip is the larger than life personality. You know, I'm going along and I'm supporting them. And also the other, the flip side of also is, I, I don't know if you guys caught it, but he also saying that Queen's Flip is like very supportive of him. Saying, sure. like, you know, you got your YouTube channel, you need to get your content out. Or when they went to Jamaica and mm -hmm. he was plugging him to say yeah. like, you need to let my man DJ. Yo, you know? They ripped that set up. That set was a dope set. Yeah. Deep money. Yeah, DJ. You know, that, that's locked in. They're gonna do that with God. My mom, I ain't gonna no. run. My mom do the same thing too, son. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's love, but you know, I I I I come from that club, so you know what I'm saying. Right, so right. I, I have to be there. You know what I'm saying. So I, I try to be there as much as I can. If, if I got a DJ or work, then I'm out. But you know what I'm saying. Other than that, I try I try put the time in, and then you know, um, like I said, even certain things I could do. If, I, if I'm DJing the Sweet Sixteen or Baby Shower, I'm doing something. That I can bring him an outdoor event. I I try to bring him with me so he can see it, and he can just come out and also hang out, and have fun too. But you know, right? Um, but it's definitely not an easy balance, man. I just feel like it's needed, man. We we, we got we got to take care of our, our young ones from early. You know, like these right. are the uh, these are the important years right now. Mm -hmm. That's right, and they're very impressionable, man. So they're watching exactly what we do and how we're moving around. Yeah, I watched the set you did in Trinidad. Shit was hot. Oh man, you, you guys really had me hot. I was I did some work, I did some research. <laughs> talk, 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 talk a little bit about that, and then talk about also how did you get uh, get linked up with Comic Con? Oh man, all right. So Trinidad, um, that was me and me and Queens Flip. Shout out to Queens Flip. We uh, Queens. We, we actually, you know, we got a podcast in the life, so we, we went out there to interview Bangham Smurf because okay. he, he's in he's in Trinidad, so you know he can't. 
I think he still can't come out to to the states yet. So, right. um, we spoke to him. He was like, "Yo, if y'all come out here, we we do the interview. Like, we set it up." So we like, "All right, let's let's fly out." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, um, shout to him and uh, his, his man Kev took care of us the whole. We sat there for a whole week. They they just kind of like oh, made wow. sure every morning we got up, went out to eat or whatever we did. It was like, "Yo, call me whenever y'all doing." And they came and they was with us every step of the way. Like, so they was with us lunch like. And then, like, they, they set us up with mad interviews out there on different radio stations, like the top radio stations out there. Nice. It's like, yo, we got to get, you know, flipping G Money in town. Let's get them on deck. And I'm going I'm to go up there with y'all in case anybody wants some nonsense. That's right. We got, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We got, yeah. got good. So, That's right. So, so that, that journey on the radio was, um, they they really was, um, uh, they wanted both of us to be on part of it. But to, but to be honest, Queens Flip. His name with the pranks and all that. I, I, I keep things a band. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to nothing. They really wanted to interview him because of the right. viral and all that stuff. So they was like interested in him. And I was like, all right, cool. I, I'll pull up and, and play my role. Like, it ain't really, ain't, I ain't about no, right. no right. ego tripping. So I was there with him holding the camera, making sure we get pictures and videos and everything. But in return, but, and bless you. And in return, you know, he, um, and one of the stations we, we, we got on, he was like hyping, like, yo, it's my man G. He nice. Like, put him, put him on the radio right now. And I'm like, yo, where? He's like, yo, where your bag at? I'm like, it's in the car. What's up? And they're like, yo, plug up. I'm like, so that 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 was that was that was a crazy set. Yeah, you went on, you went on your queen shit for real. That was had, set, to, had to, yes, sir. had to, had to, and then um, and then the, the, oh, you said the Comic Con joint. Comic Con, yeah. Uh, what's crazy is I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Impractical Jokers. You know, uh, I'm not sure if you guys familiar with the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I'm I'm a big like from, I'm talking about from like season one episode one I've been like from before wow. it came out I was on like yo this is my it's gonna be my favorite show I already feel it so you know um, just networking and meeting the right people the right places they actually gave me an opportunity to DJ the uh, 100th episode at, at South Street Seaport that's right mm -hmm. um, now like I said I keep things a band you know what I'm saying I'm a complete transparent type of dude like they reached out to me well they people reached out to me. And it was like, yo, we're not paying for this event. Like, this is a free event, but they need a DJ. Are you interested? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yo, opportunity, I'm there. You know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah, like, and, and, and I'm a fan of the show. Mm -hmm. and, it's on, right. and it's on live TV, so I might get a little cameo. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. I'm out there. So I brought, I brought the equipment, everything, got out there, rocked out. And then the year after that, they, they emailed me like, yo, we want to hire you now to come play. So you were you a resident DJ? Um, so if you will, I don't know if that's a, that's a term when you're nah, locked. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I mean, it's, it seemed like it. I don't know if I'm a resident, but I mean, you know, uh, this year we didn't have COVID. Our next guest we have episode forty two. That's probably a top five for me too. Yeah, Minister Jew. Minister Jew. Shout out to Minister Jew. Minister Jew. And the reason why I like the Minister Jew interview also is because I'm I'm very big on. The energy that you put out is what you get back. And I'm very big on what you, if you put it in the universe and you desire strong enough. It's going to show the, up. Yeah, then you'll, you'll, you'll get it. And to listen to him talk about that concept in a far more articulate and detailed manner, I, I appreciated hearing him explain it. Right. And him, him. I got I, we may I may need to reach out to Noble Ampu, which is his partner, his co. Remember, it's, it's two parts. It's him and Noble Ampu, and they call themselves the um, the Urban Gurus. Mm. Um, but Noble Ampu is more on astrology, 
where where Minister Jew is more about you know physics and and, and, qu and quantum mechanics and all that nature. But he also uses the verses from the Bible and plain text that shows you, yo, you can you can manifest anything you want in this life. As long as you have the desire and the concentration and the will to do it, it will manifest. It's all about how we read your thoughts are, where your thoughts align with. Yeah. I you know what Minister, you know what Minister Jude also um taught me? This is on, on the production side. Because we live in the East Coast, we just assume everybody else is on East Coast time. Yeah. I think when we scheduled to meet with him, he originally thought it was earlier because he's like on Central Standard Time or something like yeah, that. Chicago, yeah. <laughs> so that was that, you know. These are Chicago. Yeah. Like an hour early. Yeah, but even even after that, even with the time mix up, he still agreed to come on mm -hmm. and give us some great content. So shout out to Mr. Jew. Mr. Jew. And the priesthood. So, the technique that I call tracing God. You know, when you when you read about, uh, I think it was the last king of Israel who was told that he had to uh, he had to write the whole book of Proverbs out by hand. That's in the Old Testament. Right. right. And so what were they really getting to there? What were they indicating? What were they pointing us to in that commentary is that there's something powerful about writing and words um, that alter the fabric of time and space mm -hmm. if we're emotional enough about or passionate enough about what it is that we're saying yeah. and emotion emotion is key and emotions and feelings have a hidden power right along with words how do the two of those work together with one another well um emotion is like this right one of the ways i like to explain it you know, when a woman is, I love going through the, the pregnancy process to explain manifestation because it's, it's a beautiful replica physically of what's happening on a psycho-spiritual level when you're dealing with thought. Correct. So like when a woman's pregnant, they tell you that her, her heart has to work about 40% more than it does regularly. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, and what else does water do? Water always sinks to the lowest mm -hmm. point available, right? Yep. So when we look at these things, we have to say, okay, how can we look to nature or things that happen in nature to identify how we should appropriate or implement these things in a practical sense, utilizing what people call the law of attraction? An older term for it is in scripture. They call it the law of liberty. Actually, in scripture is what they call it. So um, emotion... It's like I said this the other day. It's like imagination is like or the word and imagination is like the letter in the envelope. But emotion is like the stamp that you put on it so that it can go to wherever it's got to travel to. OK, so emotion is like um, that's the wisdom it's part. Yes. That's the working. That's the working. of Right. It's, it's, the it's, it's, the, it's you know, the, the imagination is the vehicle. You know, you t everything, all the details, but it don't matter how nice that Bentley, that Phantom, that Ghost, whatever, no matter how nice it is, it ain't going nowhere unless it got the petrol. Mm-hmm. Right. Needing gas. Right? Yeah. So you can be pretty, you can pretty it up, but <coughs> our, how intense is your emotion? So scripture tells you, you will find him if you felt after him or to feel after him. Who is him? Him is your conscious. So if you're feeling, 
if you're emoting and you're feeling and it's strong, um, in many cases, the manifestation can almost be instantaneous. Wow. Like the case of, and I, I spoke on this yesterday on the YouTube live, like the case of uh, John Smith, who was in the St. Louis area in Missouri, where him and two of his other buddies, they were like 14, 15 at the time. They um they were walking on a on a ice bed over like a, a small pond or lake or something, and the ice cracked and they fell through. And two of them were able to hold on to the ice until the fire department came. And by the time they got there, though, John had already been to the bottom of the water for like 25 minutes. So, <laughs> you know, they tell you that you can manage underwater for maybe two or three minutes tops. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, they're thinking, oh, man, it's not a, you know, it's a, they not, it's not a rescue anymore. Oh, you know, it's, we're trying to salvage, you know. So, right, right. Um, he, they, brought, they took him to the hospital. He's no post for like an hour. You know, they, they doing their whole thing. Clear, shocking them, trying to get the electron to pop back in the body. Right, right. Mother comes. You really don't get a stronger emotional connection than mother to child. That's about as strong as you get as you're gonna find it. Right. She go in there and start uttering these words about Holy Spirit, come back into my son's body, and all of a sudden the EKG go off. Beep, beep, beep. After he had been the doctors pronounced him dead. He had been laying there, lifeless, no pulse for hours. So hmm. that's a that's a that's a that's a great and that's a true story. You, you can Google right, it right. Book about it. But I'm using that to say the stronger the emotional connection is to whatever it is that you're thinking and feeling about, the results can be like that if if it's, right. if it's really that deep in your psychology to feel it as though it's real. You know what I mean? Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, most, of us have, most of us have this energy within ourselves. What's keeping us as a people from observing and understanding that we have that light and that ability in ourselves to create what we want to create? Because like I said, I sat, quick story, I sat I sat in Maryland, I sat at the harbor. I was only there three months. I would go to the harbor. I would sit in the same spot. I would get the same lemonade, same pretzel. And I would tell myself, I want to work here. I want to work down here. I can see myself hanging out, going to chase girls, eating food, going to dinner, and showing up. Four years later, I got a call from a job and said, "Look, I'm you know I'm, I'm interested in you. Where do I come?" They said, "Come down to Pratt Street." Now the building is about two blocks away from the harbor, so I get the job. So as I get the job, we we're in preparing to move to the building right across the street from the harbor. Unbeknownst to me, so we get in the harbor. We're on the 19th floor, the mm -hmm. sweet view, looking over the same exact spot that I said I wanted to work. Right now, if I now I came across you and Noah and Pooh way back in the days, I think KTL, the Red Blue Pill. Right, and I said, Yo, I'm doing that. I'm doing that right the fuck now, son. That's like, right. There's there, there's a reason for it. There's a word for it. There's there's something to it. And I was saying to myself, how come how come other people don't notice? But we're doing it anyway, right? Well, so it's um, I'm sorry. I know I'm taking up. No, 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 man. Elaborate. I love to hear the stories, man. Um, you know, well, one, you know, you always hear ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. And so. 
we're it's innate it comes with the packaging it's a it's a part of the fabric of what we are right so you can never escape from utilizing the law because every day you're thinking and feeling every single day every day right you wake up you're thinking you're feeling you're thinking you're feeling all day and so um really what it comes down to is over the years um it hasn't been taught amongst our community in a way where it can be simplified Mm. it can be demonstrated and people can see results in real time to know that it's real so um it's been yes that's the limit because our attention span is so short like even even the matter we, we we think of thought, we put it out there. We even maybe we pray and meditate. We'll go off totally forgetting about what it is, and then when it shows up, we don't even know how to respond to it, or we kind of kind of spook ourselves out. Like, oh, that shit ain't gonna happen, man. Yeah. Right. We're so used to instant gratification, and the distraction level of shit is off the world, off the charts too. So, you know. My 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 thought was always, but how do we how do we package it? How and then we- this is I got this I got this a top five for me also, and this is a top this is a top five for me because this was the first formal interview for the No Ideas Original Sports Podcast with Theo, Kareem, and Ken. Ken, yeah, yeah. When they had Josh Morgan, Josh Morgan Senior, come on. And what I loved about that that episode was yo Josh Morgan was just so raw. Like yeah. I, I was just yo he was talking about how he didn't been stabbed, shot. Yeah. He donated. He donated. I don't know if you know Robert. He donated his kidney to his brother too. I didn't know that. Yeah, stabbed, shot, donated his kidney to his brother. That's so um, played for the 49ers, Played for the um, when they were the Redskins, <laughs> the team formerly known as the Redskins. Um, is, you know, he talked about his struggle growing up and how he how I think th- I think he said that he didn't sleep on a regular bed or see cable TV until he got to college. Yeah. You know, and um, we heard from Josh Morgan recently also where Josh Morgan is interested in actually coming back on, you know, and participating in some more interviews. And I was saying like, hey, the NFL playoffs are coming around. Maybe we should reach reach back out to him. But. He's just, you know, humble, down to earth dude, very raw, you know, and, and, and I like that. Like, I like the dudes who don't try to be conversations we want. We want open dialogue. And by the grace of God, we've been getting that, man. And the people that we've been interviewing are just so open and candid and very forthright, nothing crazy. They just, it's like we're sitting in their living room. I love it, man. Shout out to Josh Morgan Sr. I know it was finesse game because uh, when the, uh, the UNC wanted me, and I'm like, hold up, man. Y'all the same people that had Michael Jordan, James <laughs> Word, and, all and y'all mean to tell me y'all going to let me come and play for UNC and play football? I'm like, nah, y'all. Y'all finesse. <laughs> I can't do it. But that was part of, that was even more reason why I was stuck with VTech because they kept it real. Like he told me, man, if you come here, I'm not letting you touch basketball because he already knew. Like I said, 
he already knew. Like, if I had any success on that basketball court, I was going to stop playing football and I was going to go to the NBA. <laughs> so yeah. he already knew what it was. Basketball court. Listen, as a, as a two sport athlete, man, listen, and, and and playing that well and playing at that level where you even get to a point where where people are interested, you only love to, you know, can you tell people what type of dedication and work goes into that to even to be able to play one sport at a Division One level and then have people entertain playing two sports at a Division One level mm-hmm. and then go to NFL and stuff? I mean, could you tell people, like, what type of work and dedication really goes into that, man? Man, that's crazy. I was just telling some kids about this uh, <laughs> last night at the gym. You know, we open it up and we go to this little gym every night from, like, 8 o'clock. And we don't close until like one in the morning, and they is in there, and you know, it's just different, man. You know, it's just understanding your why and understanding, you know, what I'm saying why you really doing what you're doing, and and once you understand that, your grind is different. You know what I'm saying? Like me, me coming up, man. Like I said, I graduated high school basically homeless. Like I was living on four different people and four different people houses. I slept with, you know, on my point guard I slept on his couch for three or four months and then I transferred to my was on my quarterback couch for a couple of months you know what I'm saying then I transferred to his aunt basement after that then after that I ended up graduating and I was living with my godparents who I was playing AAU basketball for so you know what I'm saying my grind always been a little different you know what I'm saying I had to jump off the I had to jump off the pot off the porch when I was 12 years old and, you know, saying, go help grandma pay the bills and all types of stuff. So, you know what I'm saying? My mindset was just always different. And it was always to the point, like, my OGs was going to tell me, you know what I'm saying? We know you got to do what you got to do, but at the same time, you got to tell them to get out of here so don't get caught up in this. So, you know what I'm saying? My focus and my ground was always different. You know what I'm saying? I got stabbed in high school, went played the game two days later, scored four touchdowns. Wow. I done got shot at plenty of times. You know, my best friends that got killed. You know, when I was at Tech alone, I was to like 40 funerals. You wow. know, I done had, you know, my cousin got shot by the police. You know, it, it was just a lot of stuff that I experienced at a young age that just had my mindset different. And it was just like, you know, I was saying stuff that most kids my age weren't saying. I was going through stuff that most kids weren't going through. So I'm 14 years old, and I'm out there after practice. I'm going to try and get it because I know I got to come up with this 1,200 or else the light's going to be out. You know what I'm saying? Or, or if I don't come up with this 800 for this heat, you know what I'm saying, the it ain't going to be no heat in the wintertime. You know what I'm saying? And You know, you just get tired of heating the house with the oven. You just get tired of... You know, I ain't even have cable until I went to college. You know, I ain't had my own shower until I went to college. My grandmother, I grew up my grandmother. She still had the old, big old white porcelain slave to, <laughs> and I'm standing mm. up, my big ass standing up in that joint trying to wash up and all this and that. You know what I'm saying? So I go to my wow. friend's house and they got showers, they got cable, they got their own room, they got a bed. You know what I'm saying? I slept on a futon. <laughs> I slept on a futon most of my high school career. You know what I'm saying? So I ain't even had my own bed till I went to college. So just saying all that, man, my grind was just always different, man. It was just always, you know what I'm saying, on some real give rich or die trying type, you know what I'm saying, type of mentality. Like, man, I'm going to make it out of here. And I don't care what you do. You can shoot me. You can stab me. You can rob me. You can cut one of my legs off. You're not going to stop me. So when it came to training and all that, that was the easy part because I had so much pain and I had so many things that I was holding in. That was my escape. 
I thought I'd rather make my body feel that pain than be sitting around crying about my situation. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather make my body. And I made up this little quote where it was like, I make my sweat through my tears. And then I turn my pain into passion and fight to overcome every obstacle before me. And once you got that mentality, man, ain't nothing going to stop you, man. I saw too much too young. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's an even bigger testament to you having gone through all that to to make it to that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely. Because I, I, I always tell myself, like, my grandmother cried so hard on my 18th birthday just because I made it to 18. So I mm. know I wasn't supposed to be here. You know what I'm saying? So just, you know what I'm saying? I just, I just, that, that, I honestly, that's what made me even start getting in the church and believing in God and all that. Because I was just like, bro, seeing the stuff I saw and going through what I went through, God was the only thing that made sense. Because everybody else getting shot at, they get hit. Wow. I'm getting shot at lane. I'm, I'm walking away untouched. You know what I'm saying? Everybody else getting stabbed. They out for a month, six weeks, or whatever. I get stabbed. I go play a game three days later. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was just different. You grew up in Washington, D.C.? Yeah. Yeah, that's real, man. That's that's definitely real, man. Yeah. So out when you was out there in the NFL, man, as I said, when you played and you literally played in the golden era of cornerbacks, man. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it wasn't too many slouches you played against. Who who would you say is the toughest corner that you faced? Man, I ain't gonna hold you, man. The toughest corner, and I give him his credit. The toughest corner I ever faced was when I was in college. His name was Jimmy Williams. Okay. And he was number two. He he wore number two before I did. He was a six three corner. He was a hooper. He went to the same high school AI went to down there in Hampton. He went to Bethel. He ran a four three seven. He jumped like a thirty eight. But he he, and he was a safety turn to corner. You know, usually corners turn to safety. safeties. Yeah. He was a safety turn to corner. You know what I'm saying? He had quick feet, long arms, everything. But in the league, in the league, I I'm a, I mean, I'm going to give him respect, man. Reeves was the toughest one. Okay. Real Reeves was the toughest one, man. He was just on some, he was just on some, like, he was just smart. Like, he was just, he wasn't the fastest dude, but he was just in your way. He had all them old ass, ass, <laughs> what are you doing? It just frustrates you, mess up your route, mess up the whole defense, mess with the quarterback. Half the time, it ain't really look like he checking me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I got a free route. Next thing you know, he picking that joint off going the other way. So, yeah, mm. hands down, Earl Reeves was the toughest one I've seen. I guess on the flip side of that, um, who is your favorite team uh, to play for? Because I know you played for a few different teams. Who would you say was your, your favorite team? The 49ers. That organization from top to bottom, man, don't get no better. You know what I'm saying? From the owners to the GM to the coaching staff to the training staff to the team. Like, people don't understand. The only reason I left the 49ers was to come home because they said my grandmother was sick and they had too much longer to leave. You know what I'm saying? She was that old school grandma. Like I said, she still had the porcelain slave to She ain't never, if she had to get in the plane, she wasn't coming. If she had to get in the train, she wasn't coming. If she couldn't drive, she wasn't coming. So, you know what I'm saying? My grandma was my best friend. Like, she was the most important person in the world to me. So, I only left San Fran to come home and spend that time with her and, you know, had the opportunity to, to, you know, see her in the stands at my games and stuff like that because I ain't had that opportunity since college. 
So that was the only reason I left. But, um, yeah, hands down, San Fran. From the top to the bottom. Um, what would you say will be? What would you say will be your best years at San Fran? Oh nine or twenty ten? Those years seem to be your best two years at San Fran. Yeah, because my rookie year I was playing through injuries, and then my last year I had the season and the injury. But my last year, eleven, that was going to be my best year. Mm. You know, before I broke my, I think I broke my leg the fifth game of the season when we played Tampa Bay. Being greedy, man. Mm. Coach Marball sat us down. We blowing Tampa Bay out. Coach Marball set me and Crabtree down, and uh, he set us down like after Harrison. Then he put us in that. He say, man, I want y'all to warm up. Y'all going to go in with Colin Kaepernick. So we get hyped because we like, man, yeah. We like, yeah, Colin going to the game. We about to throw the ball. We about to score some touchdowns, get these steps up. <laughs> so we get hyped. We go at that game, man. And look, first, just like I said, Colin took us down the field. He throw Crabtree a pass. Crabtree get like 30 yards. He throw me a pass. I get like 40 yards. Next thing you know, we down there in touchdown range. I mean, in the red zone in like three plays. And, um, I run over there, man. I'm diving. I try to dive, and that's why they created the horse collar. Because the dude, like, I put my feet in the ground to dive in the end zone. Dude, yeah. pulled back, and then another dude hit me on oh. my leg, and I broke my leg the same way Alex Smith broke his leg in 2018. Mm. I did the same thing. Only mine didn't get infected like his, but I did the same thing. And um, but yeah, that was gonna be my best year, man. I was I, I the, the, it was it was only five games into the season, but it just felt different. You know, I was in the best shape of my life. You know, I was doing everything. They wasn't taking me off the field. You know what I'm saying? Punt return, kick return. They were trying to really get me to do everything. And, um, it was just fun, man. It just felt it felt like yeah, it was my money year. So what's the recovery process for an injury like that? Man, I the. T- that's got to be a mental thing as well as physical, you know, to, to bounce back from an injury like that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a mental thing. But at the same time, it's all about the organization you go to. So my, my little situation was different because I got I had a season ending injury with one team, but it was my free agent year, and I ended up signing free the agent. The last interview that we did this year was with Chris Smith, the black techie. I enjoyed this interview also. You know what I enjoyed about it? I think, well, you know what? I'm biased because I think anytime we can get a female to come on, it's something about it that they, they, it's something that they lend to the discussion that we don't necessarily have with us three or when we have another male guest on. It's just a different perspective that's just, it's really refreshing to hear. Right, right, right. Um, And this sister came in and, you know, her knowledge in the area of tech, and you know how she was like really champion, champion the um the super phone and how she spoke about Ryan Leslie and you know um her aspirations for Silicon Fire. She's coming from a social worker background, right? Then she worked at group home or yeah, to make that transition, right? Think about that. Like you go you make a transition from human services to tech. That's a leap. Yeah, out of Baltimore. Speaking, speaking of that, she talked about the book, The Big Leap. <laughs> out of Baltimore. You know what's dope, too? The, um, the, the, the part where y'all was talking about was the zone of genius and what was oh, it? The zone of excellence and the zone of genius. Zone of excellence and zone of genius. How about that? And, that's, and it's, it's, it's pretty much two, two mindsets 
that if you're trying to get something out of what you're trying to produce, these are the these are the these are the things you want to align yourself up with. And that's how she came up with the with the whole smartphone thing or the super phone. About that, I definitely have like a lot of relationships that I wanted to build first because it was it wasn't always about getting the clients first. It was about me building the relationships with their people, and it was very intentional. So I didn't come in like, yeah, I'm gonna be this big shot. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. Nah, but I have attracted a lot more football people because that's where I geared my content. But I think eventually, probably within the next six months, my planning for Q1 and Q2 of 2021 is to niche down even more on the specific type of athlete. And I'm, I'm gauging my conversations and contracts that are on the table and I'm, I'm taking note of stuff and I'm, I'm knowing right now based on stuff is leaning is looking like a lot of collegiate athletes and some retired NFL players. And like, you know, the soccer players are just the extra. That's where you want to get them at. So Superphone, tell us about Superphone. What is Superphone and how did it come about? Oh, gosh. So the great, amazing Ryan Leslie, our last shout out to you. He's a great guy. Um, he came out with this concept in 2013 because he really wanted to have a direct connection with his fans. He felt like that a lot of social media kind of made it feel like a one to many relationship instead of like a one to one. And when you look at Ryan's following, he has a, a, a huge combination of followers on all of his platforms. But if you take 10 percent of that, that's really the engagement, because when you look at social media specific, specifically, the higher you get in following, the lower the percentage is in engagement because it starts dwindling and dwindling down. So he decided to create Superphone as a way to directly have ownership of his fans, his conversations and things of that nature. And, you know, his, his most profitable case study to date was him taking his albums off of streaming platforms, going direct to his consumer, selling it that way, being able to tap in with them to say, hey, I appreciate you purchasing my album and the things of that nature. And it's been in existence for a while. Of course, there's competitors in the space, but you know, I, I got to tell people all the time, that's that's the original McCoy right there. And um, Ryan and his team, which are amazing, shout out to the marketing team, product team, they're all amazing folks. And the vision that he had back then, and now people are just trying to catch up now, seven years later, um, it's, it's amazing to see how forward thinking he was then and even how forward thinking he is now, because I can tell y'all this now, stuff he's doing for 2021, he's definitely going to be stepping on people's necks for sure. Yeah, that's crazy because the, the, the ownership of your fan base, who is sort of that? Nobody. Like, Nobody at all. But, but, it, but it is ingenious, and this is probably a zone of genius in, in his respects because the digital activity right now, most people are on their phones at least four and a half hours a day. Facts. And, it, and, it's, and it's increasing. And yep. by 2020, people are going to be on it half of the damn day for 12 hours. Yeah. So yeah. If you can control your own fan base, give them the things that they like, the music, merch, whatever it is, but you directing to them, you ain't got to worry about nobody else, man. Listen, yeah. I, I put a post on my Instagram and I want to say it might have been like a week and a half ago. I was saying how it's, this is not going anywhere anytime soon. No. Um, the CNBC has projected that text is going to probably not only double or triple in 2021. And the reason why that direct to consumer and having ownership of your fan base is huge. Right. It's it a is. play. It's also a ownership where you can go direct to them and cut out the middleman, all these third party platforms. Like I look at it when I look at these athletes and this is like how I've been honing in on these conversations with them. I'm like breaking down numbers. I'm like, all right, so you got your platform on 
you know, Shopify, right? And they're like, no, it's on such such third party. I'm like, okay. So I can tell you for a fact, I know that they get a cut of this. Right. Get a percentage of that. I said, but what if you just took the middleman out the picture, went direct to your consumer, put it on Shopify? Yeah, they want to take their 2.9% for payment processing because we know that's how payment processes work. Mm -hmm. You still have that revenue from your fan base free and clear. Period. Mm, And I'm just like, why would you not want to pull pull your strategy together to be very intentional about going direct to them? Because at the end of the day, they want to hear from you. And mm-hmm. I tell them all the time, especially like I said, the conversation I've had, even just in the last 48 hours alone, I kid you not, I've been stressing this because I'm like, when you look at that social media relationship, and I remember um, I follow Kyle Prater. He's a former NFL player. And I got to say this specifically because this happened like maybe a week or two ago. He was having an issue with his Instagram account. And I think it was more so him posting a video or something dealing with his account. And I commented under his post and I said, this is unfortunate. However, I want to try to show you a different narrative to make sure that this doesn't happen to you again. And that going forward, your fan base and your community can see what it is you're trying to share, monetize or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those, these are examples like that every day. Look at look at little Boosie. OK, now now I know his antics are a little, <laughs> little pungent, but he got locked out of Instagram for a good long time. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> And Facebook own everything. And I tell people this from a tech perspective. They own everything. They own WhatsApp. They own a lot of companies that a lot of people don't know that they own. Yeah. Talk, talk about talk about Nipsey's usage of smartphones. Yeah. Nip, Nip, Nip knew. Rest in peace to Nip. He was way beyond his time. Um, and I, I am still like kind of even not knowing him. I'm, I'm reeling that because yeah. I think that just the, from the innovation and technology piece, he knew. Like his CTO, his CTO, um, Idris, it is a Sandu, intelligent genius guy. I follow him on all platforms. He knew and he saw the vision when you think about Nip Smart Store. But going back to Nip using Superphone, he that was his mailbox money campaign. A lot of people don't know that. That was the case study, and that's what he used for his mailbox money campaign. Mm. He basically sold it direct to consumer because I think it was one was either 100 and one was 1,000, if I'm correct, based on you know just what he's shared. Mm-hmm. And he sold directly. Ain't yeah. he no middleman. He sold direct to his fan base. He knew where they were. So if he pulled up in the city, he could do a pop up, show them love. Right. Come out. Back and say thank you. I mean, there's so many nuances to that. But Nip was, was definitely ahead of his time. Um, Cardi B for WAP. Um, I know they used Superphone for that rollout for that. There, there's so many case studies with yeah. Superphone, but people just don't understand how powerful it is. To cut out the middleman and go direct to your consumer, go direct to your fan base. It's powerful. Yeah. It just ma- it makes me think of like a concierge service, like that personal that personal touch, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, when I, when I when I think about it, also I think about it makes me kind of think about Kevin Hart is one of the people that I think early on I seen him really monetize. Shout out to Chris. Yeah. So there you, there you have it. There's forty. That was what forty nine shows. Forty nine shows. We just gave you a recap of some moments, just some moments from some of the guests that we've had on wow. the show. You know, and then for 2021, right, we're, we're looking at some some even even more interesting guests. You know, like we started already having preliminary conversations with people that potentially we want to have on in 2021. You know, so, yo, you got to plug in. I would encourage everybody also, based on these clips that you heard, if you haven't had an opportunity to watch these interviews, in their entirety, 
to kind of go back, run it back and, and listen to our catalog. You know, if you're somebody who you about getting some information and getting knowledge, right. you'll really appreciate the discussion. Now, I, I'm going to be candid with you. If you want to hear the gossip about who OC dated, we don't get into who he dated. We don't get into who he had a fist fight with. We're not going to talk to Master Ace about how he, you know, uh, uh, about whatever. If him and Big Daddy Kane smoke blunts in the hallway. Yeah, yeah those the conversations, but we are going to we are going to have a conversation with General Steele about what it was like to actually be in a studio with Sean Price. Right. You know, and to be a father. We talk about fatherhood. We ask we ask questions that we know the general public may not be so privy to think that we're going to ask. Because yeah. we're not looking for the gossip. We're not looking for the soundbite and the trendy stuff. We're looking for real live conversation. And you know why we do that? Because there's no ideas original. <laughs> not one, baby. <laughs> Yo. Wow. Happy New Year to everybody. Thank, Thank you for tuning in to the Best of No Ideas original podcast. Happy holidays.